Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, boys and girls, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. I'm coming to you live, as usual, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, on today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, I'll be joined by John Taylor, Fangraphs, to talk uh, 2021 Kansas City Royals, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. getting called up in 2022, where they sit in the AL Central, questions with the starting pitching, all that good stuff. Uh, Ken Rosenthal being out, the MLB Network, the ramifications there, how it happened, uh, the future of baseball, the Braves' uh, center field hole, and what they'll do there. Soler, Rosario, and Duvall, questions all across the board in the Braves' outfield as they look to defend their 2021 uh, World Series title. And then uh, Justin Morneau's Hall of Fame case. Is there one? We'll, we'll talk about all of that on this very episode of the show uh later got two interviews for you folks uh first with clay stevenson of calhoun high school he's the head football coach there and then jamie debose of Lowndes high school where he is also the head football coach so two uh great programs uh in the ghsa uh back in my home state of georgia so it was a great conversation and i very much enjoyed talking to clay and jamie about their respective programs and uh what they they did this past year both super great years very successful no state titles but it was uh it was a great year on on both accounts so i very much enjoy getting to know clay and jamie and learning more about uh south georgia football north georgia football and uh it was good with friday night lights wrapped up here uh it's nice to check in so expect more of those um both at the collegiate level and the uh the high school level uh, in the coming months as these off-season programs get started but um before we get started with today's show, though, I want to also uh, remind you guys how you can support this very program. Uh, it starts with leaving a quick five-star reading and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is how you are listening to me on this very episode. Uh, go visit ChaseTomasPodcast.com for access to all of my previous episodes. Yeah, every episode there on ChaseTomasPodcast.com. And make sure to subscribe to the newsletter, Sports Renaissance Man substack.com as always you can email the program at chase podcast at gmail.com for any mailbag questions any questions for me anything like that hit me up chase podcast at gmail.com and of course make sure and follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle darren let's ride Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by my good friend John Taylor of Fangraphs.com up there in New York City. John, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Not, not too bad. I. I I, I'm going to test you here real quick. Remember when I texted okay. you last week about a certain item that I said I would rock on, uh, on our very podcast? Vaguely, but yes. I've got, as we're recording, I've got the El Paso Chihuahuas. Ah, yes. The El Paso Chihuahua shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoodie. I remember now. Hoodie, quite, sorry, hoodie. quite comfortable. Quite comfortable. It's I hoodie should, weather. It's I, quite cold here. If I weren't already wearing a shirt, mm. I... Which also people should know. I I I do these podcasts clothes. Like, <laughs> I just I realize like having said that, people are just going to think that like does he usually do this without a shirt? Um, but I would go grab my Hudson Valley Renegades 
t-shirt so we can have some matching minor league swag you can never have too much minor league swag on a podcast this is true it's good for the vibes it's good for the feelings um but yeah no uh it's great my dad got it for me in an airport in el paso he was he was uh he was stuck in because i don't know if you knew this or not john but uh air travel has been a mess uh as of late I did, I did not know that yeah air travel it's not not quite fun at the moment um john taylor yes it's time for the national pastime okay this is a good one today on okay so this is january 5th 1920 okay. on this day wow yeah long, long time ago long time ago. two years now that we're in 2022 that's crazy um i don't think i've signed anything 2022 by the way i think i'm still very much in 2021 well, how, how much signing is left to do because like people I, I know that was always the thing for the longest time. i was still signing my checks last year but it's like Nobody signs checks anymore, right? Well, I should say not signing, but I'm adding dates. So, like, on my Google Docs okay. and stuff, like, when I'm reaching out yeah, to something, yeah, if I'm marking stuff, I'm putting 2021. Like, I'm having, I, like, I'm going to confuse myself because I'm putting everything as 2021 on that kind of stuff. Yeah, that uh, is that is our generation's uh, mistakenly signing <laughs> check of the last year. Like, I, I have this, too. It's, like, part of the Fangraphs editorials where you can track everything mm. in a doc. And I just know eventually I'm going to screw, or not, or sorry, not that when we, um, when we schedule stuff to publish, you put in the full date, and I know at some point I'm going to screw up and make it 2021 and somehow publish something in the past. Yeah, that's it's going to happen. But it's, it is just remarkable to think about, man, that we are in the year 2022. That is just, mm-hmm. I don't know why it seems crazier to me than 2021, but for me, when I really do think about just how long ago 2000 was, that uh, it's, it's rather preposterous and alarming. Uh, death comes from us all, comes for us all, John. Yeah, I mean, also just the bigger the numbers get, the the weirder it all feels. Like twenty twenty two, like more and more, it just doesn't sound real. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Twenty twenty two does not sound real. It does not. It does not, John. Um, two thousand nine, when I graduated high school, feels like it just two thousand nine is was a long, long time ago. That was a long time ago. Um, but back to the national pastime, John. So one hundred and two years today. Uh, yes. Quote. I think the Yankees are taking a gamble. While Ruth is undoubtedly the greatest hitter the game has ever seen, he is likewise one of the most selfish and inconsiderate men ever to put on a baseball uniform, end quote. That comes from Harry Frazee. Do we know how to pronounce the old owner of the Red Sox's last name? Uh, I always thought it was Frazee. Okay. Frazee. Harry Frazee. I could be wrong on that. Hey, it, it works. Harry Frazee, owner of the Red Sox, said defending his trade of Babe Ruth to New York. This goes on. Harry Frazee defends his selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees for cash by calling his former player one of the most selfish and inconsiderate men ever to put on a baseball uniform. The Red Sox owner laments the popular player had become impossible to deal with and the team could no longer put up with the Bambinos. <sighs> you can sen- oh, hold on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pronounce this correctly. All right. Here we go. Go for it. <sighs> Here we go. This is, I promise I'm in grad school, folks. I promise I'm in grad school. It's going to happen. Okay. All right. Pronunciation is just not my strong suit. That's intricacies. Hold on. I'm not going to be able to do this. No, you got it. Come on. It can can, uh, string. Ah, I'm not going to be able to do this. This is too much. Say that. 
again? Eccentricities. Eccentricities. Okay. Yeah, the weird thing, it, it just makes more sense, and this is the the silliness of English spelling, although I, I, I don't know the root for, eccentric, for eccentricity mm. slash eccentricities. But yeah, those double C's there, you're better off just treating them as like an X and an S next yeah. to each other. I'm just not doing it. Like, ex- yeah, like for whatever reason, my brain is not doing this. Well, because, yeah, because those two C's essentially are pronounced two different ways, <laughs> neither of which are the way C is normally pronounced. <laughs> All right. Well, like it's should I cut all that from the pod? It's, it's full of nonsense. <laughs> oh man, I uh, did not think I would uh, start this pod. I played myself, John. Uh, not uh, not uh, double checking all the words. But, you, that, but mm-hmm. you gave it your best shot. Oh my that's goodness! That's what counts. <sighs> I did my best, John. Pronunciation, for what man. It's, for mm-hmm. what it's worth, and for anyone who's interested, eccentricity is from the medieval Latin eccentricus, or mm. derived from the Greek ekentros, out of the center, from ek out of plus kentron center so there you go now we have now turned this into the etymology hour (laughs) well the goal of this very podcast john is that every episode folks come away learning a lot like that is the ultimate goal is that they learn uh whether it's last week with the twins they they know more about the minnesota twins in their season uh so when they're at the sports bar on the weekend hanging out with their friends and the minnesota twins come up as it does uh generally speaking at bars all across america they were able to to dive in and were able to parrot your perspective on what went wrong. That's the that's the very nature of this podcast. That's the ethos of our podcast. That makes sense, and, that, and that's really what we're here to do. It's really what we're here to do. Well, don't forget, folks. You can find John at jataylor on twitter.com. Follow myself at chase double underscore thomas. Uh, go check out chasethomaspodcast dot com today. Every episode on the website. Go check that out if you've not already done so. Um, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, or wherever you get your podcasts whenever you can do that. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com and email us if you have any Major League Baseball questions you would like John or myself to answer on future podcasts, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Um, John, there was, some, there was a lot of hoopla a couple days ago um here at the mlb network ken rosenthal out contract was not renewed at the end of 2021 um it looks like a lot of that had to do with 2020 criticism of rob manfred and coven and how major league baseball handled it um but it was kind of a stunner uh, across major league baseball media and twitter what do you what do you make of rosenthal not being with the network in 2022 so the thing I think that, that stands out most to me about this isn't so much MLB Network won't have him around because MLB Network is not short on guys who can do what Ken Rosenthal does on that network. And then, like, with absolutely no disrespect intended to Ken, who's probably the best baseball reporter alive at this moment and who's been doing this job for longer, I think longer than I've actually been alive. But his role on MLB Network can be pretty easily filled. If this were just a matter of they're not picking up his contract, you know, I, I don't really think anyone would care Aside from the rationale behind it, which is that Rob Manfred apparently has skin so thin you could put your finger through it. Like, the fact that, that and, and this is based off the reporting that Andrew Marchand did for the New York Post as their media reporter, I don't really see any reason to doubt it, that Rosenthal's contract in particular was not picked up because Manfred uh, was irritated with some column that Rosenthal had written, I believe, last year amidst the first round amidst the negotiations about starting the shortened season and had noted that Manfred generally wasn't doing a very good job. Something that I think most everyone who was 
following baseball at that time, or most every baseball writer would probably agree that the league, I don't think either the league or the union covered themselves in glory, but in particular the league, its stances, the way it negotiated in public, all just looked very bad. It's worth noting here that Rosenthal in his columns did not say that Manfred is a bad commissioner, that he's doing a terrible job, that he's an idiot, that he should be replaced, nothing along those lines, because Rosenthal isn't usually, Rosenthal doesn't really do that in his work, and there's also, I mean, getting that kind of personal is, is also just going to, it, it's not good for his particular brand or business. But it really says a lot that Rob Banford, the, the minor criticism that Ken Rosenthal had of maybe you could be doing this better was enough to get him booted off the network. It, it really, and, and this it's such a of a piece with the way baseball and particularly Manfred seems to handle things, which is just, we know better than you. And if you question us, then you're stupid and we don't care. There's just... And I think a lot of that comes from just Manfred himself, and you can just see it too. If you if you ever watch one of his press conferences, or if you ever attend them, or just even talk to any reporter about the the basic the basic way in which you interact with Manfred, and this is all in press conferences too, because Manfred barely does one on ones with reporters. He almost never makes himself available. Uh, this is someone who really is not particularly transparent about how he runs things, or about how baseball, or what, about what baseball is doing, about what he is doing. Which also runs all the all the weirdness of the of the the years of Manfred's tenure, where we would just see random baseball ideas just kind of float out into the ether via baseball reporters, clearly leaked by the office or by the league office in some capacity or another, where they were just talking about all these weird rule changes as trial balloons, or the way that they negotiate all the labor stuff in public, you know, because it is all at least in Manfred's eyes seemingly a PR campaign to make sure that baseball always looks like the best and the smartest and that they're trying the hardest. But then the vibe he gives off perpetually is just one of arrogant kind of irritation. Like he can't believe baseball writers or fans or team or players or whoever is not him would have the gall or think that they're smart enough to know what the league should be doing. Because that's also the vibe he gives off. He's it's just one perpetual. I know more than you do. Rob Manfred, I think is convinced that he knows how to, fix or save or whatever non-necessary verb you want to use there, baseball, which is silly because baseball doesn't need saving or at least not in the capacity that, you know, baseball does not need to be protected from the likes of Ken Rosenthal making mild commentary. And this is also a point where I'll just kind of take a a small aside to say MLB network on its own is such a, I think kind of fitting for Manfred and the way the league is run. It could be so much more than it is, but it is so focused on money and on parroting league, league, the league line that it's it, it just doesn't have the value you think it could. And it also just something I I this is me personally. I got when I when I decided to get rid of cable. I got YouTube TV in part because I wanted to be able to watch local baseball, which then the Yankees aren't on YouTube TV anymore. So haha me. But also because they were I think at the time the only streaming cable package, whatever you want to call them to offer MLB Network. And I used to watch MLB Network all the time. Granted, it was more for the, you know, the 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock window where they would just kind of, you know, pop into a game every now and then. And I like that little league look around, essentially. But the rest of the network itself is pretty useless. And I've been on one of their shows, which is a perfectly fine show, um, Brian Kenny's show, MLB Now. Is that the name of the show? I can't even remember anymore. But point of it all being is MLB Network doesn't really, it's not nearly as good or as useful as you want it to be. And I think part of that is because the league doesn't really have the right, or the league is kind of, 
That's the best way to put this. I, I don't know that they have the best ideas in mind for how they want baseball to look. Like even just over the course of the last year with baseball getting involved in the NFT and crypto market, which is just, what are we doing? That stuff is so obviously a scam, a Ponzi scheme from, from start to finish, not to mention just so environmentally disastrous for the planet. And yet MLB gets involved in it because there might be a dollar to be had. And that's, I think that is the biggest issue with Rob Manfred's MLB, wherever there is a dollar to be had, they will sell their soul in the process of collecting it. They do not care. They just, it is all about profit, revenue, and money coming in the door. And I think you get that. I think that feeling has become bigger among baseball fans of this game. Like, what is going on with this game right now? It really does feel like the league, like the people in charge of the league and Manfred in particular, don't really seem to know what fans actually want or more importantly, don't seem to care. They just care about whatever is making their bottom line bigger. And I think ignoring the fact that. Most, I think most baseball fans would agree on this. The league doesn't like the league has kind of an image problem right now, and it starts at the top because this is the kind of like getting rid of a of a, of a veteran respected report. And I I cannot put enough stress on the word respected when it comes to Ken Rosenthal. Every single writer in that industry like respects him because he has he has earned his his that respect a hundred thousand times over. To see him treated like that. It, it just makes you wonder what it is about, like, why Why is the league like this? What What is it with the paranoia and the defensiveness and the, the thin-skinned arrogance? It, it's just so off-putting, and it really does make me worry that what exactly is the plan for baseball going forward because it doesn't really feel like this sport should be in this particular person's hands anymore. This person who just seems entirely fixated on how much money the sport can make as opposed to pretty much anything else. John, I'm concerned about your future on the MLB Network. <laughs> For what it's worth, I have not been asked to be back on MLB Network since that one time. Mm-hmm. Although I'm pretty sure it wasn't because of anything I said. I remember it was in February. I watched you on it. Yeah, it was in February, so there was nothing to talk about. I, mm-hmm. I do remember that. I'm pretty sure my Twitter account is probably a bigger reason why, <laughs> why MLB Network would have no interest in me back. But the other thing is, but again, going to my thing, what is there on MLB Network? Mm-hmm. There is uh, Mad Dog's absolutely criminally terrible show. High Heat. I, I, I cannot, like, if you, want, if you want one example of how MLB just doesn't get it, the fact that they put, like, Mad Dog on that network with his views that are, like, 30 years out of date by this point, mm. for, to the, who, is, who is the audience for that? Well, I mean, if you look at baseball's demographics, maybe, then there sure, might be like, some but crossover. I guess, but I guess that's part of it. Like, if you're, this is what I don't understand about the league. If you do look at those demographics, and those demographics are very stark, that baseball's number one fan is essentially a, like white men between the ages of 35 and 65. That is that is the core demographic of Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. And if you're a league, you think to yourself, boy, we sure, we sure do need to diversify that because we can't survive on these white men forever. Mm-hmm. Not only because, you know, they're only one slice of the, of, the particular, of the larger rainbow that is American society and culture, but also because... That's just kind of what you need to do. You need to appeal to as not to as many people as possible, but you need to have a kind of broad appeal. Like, how else are young people going to going to care about the sport? And I know that Manfred and, and the league have a lot of lip service in that regard, and that's where they come up with stuff like, oh, we need to speed up the pace of play because otherwise young people aren't going to watch the games. You know what's going to make young people more likely to watch the games? If you let them watch stuff without without uh, regional blackouts, if you yeah. stop taking minor league teams away, if teams stop charging so much for you to get in the actual uh, gates of the stadium, yeah. 
non, non-COVID, of course, if teams actually try all this really important stuff that has to do not just with the financial health of the league, but also its literal competitive health, mm-hmm. the literal ability of baseball to continue onward. And it, again, it really, really just feels like for Manfred and company, it's just a matter of how much money can we make it and how much work do we, how much money can we make and how much work do we need to do? As long as those two questions have an answer, everything else just seems to be secondary, if not tertiary, if not, well, now it's my turn. I was going to say quaternary, but I don't think that's actually accurate. Regardless, like, and I think MLB Network is just a symptom of that. Like, there's nothing on that channel you actively want to watch unless you're watching a game. And, like, I don't know that that... If I mean, NBA TV is like the that. NFL Network, or, yeah, I don't know if any of them are any better. The NFL Network's the good. Problem, I think part of the problem, too, there is that they are all also house organs. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was never a chance MLB Network was going to be truly interesting because it is controlled by the league. It's only yeah. going to be it's only going to say whatever the league wants it to say. Well, I will say NHL.com's good. Like that is a really good, well-run site that is that's good. NHL's or got even, it down. Okay, I'll, I'll, I I was going to say I, I know nothing about how the NHL runs its media. Although it's funny because for the longest time NHL.com was part of MLB Advanced Media, was part hmm. of their Yeah, they used to run it essentially because I didn't the know NHL that. the NHL is a Honestly, the NHL is like barely above a minor league at this point. But <laughs> no, it's just re- I mean, honestly, MLB and NHL have a lot of crossover. It's a lot of regional stuff. It's a lot of regional emphasis. It's a lot of a certain kind. Of, like they don't have a large slice of the pie anymore. Um, they're trying to figure out how to get a larger slice of the pie. Um, they don't market their stars well. Uh, Connor McDavid's just uh, out of this world, and just so many folks around the country just don't know about him. Well, and I, and I also imagine the demographics are probably mm-hmm. roughly similar. Yeah. I, I imagine baseball's audience probably has a little more spending power because hockey is a little more of a blue-collar sport. But, mm-hmm. like, and I guess that's the thing. Like, if you're MLB and you're looking at, I mean, I don't know how much how much Manfred and company sit around and think about either the future or how they look versus other leagues besides, or uh, with regards to anything besides TV ratings or... They should. Or they should, but they should, like... There should be – this is the kind of thing. It's like, what do the people want? I try, I, I'm telling you, they don't want not. They don't want Ken Rosenthal off the air. I don't know yeah. if anyone necessarily <laughs> wants Ken Rosenthal on the air. But, like, this is not something that helps baseball at all is taking a respected veteran reporter who, by the way, is almost never wrong when he breaks news mm-hmm. and taking him off the air. Like, how does that help anyone? I don't think it matters. Like, I, I don't think it, it, it moves no, the needle at all. Matter. Like, it, it matter matters to Rosenthal's no. family, and it matters to him professionally. Well, but... I, think it, I think it also matters to media members who can see and have probably experienced for themselves. The league doesn't really like it when you criticize them to any degree. Yeah. Any, but I think it's every any, league. I think, yeah, and that's true. But I, I think in baseball, especially over the last few years, it has gotten worse in that regard. Hmm. I know plenty of writers personally who have gotten very angry messages from the league office about something <laughs> or another they wrote. Where it's just like, my guys, we're trying to help. Yeah. The criticism we make is we are trying to help. We like baseball. We, we, we love baseball. Mm-hmm. All of us love baseball except the beat writers. They all hate baseball now. Yeah. But That's why you shouldn't do it. Us, the rest of us all love baseball. We just want the sport to be fun mm-hmm. and fair and competitive and all this good stuff. And it's all this stuff that, the, that Major League Baseball right now does not seem to care about. I think that. You're right. The Rosenthal stuff. The Rosenthal stuff does not matter. It doesn't actually really uh, impact anyone, like you said, beyond Rosenthal and his family. And as I said before, he'll be fine. He's great. He's, he's you know he's obviously got his contract. The Athletic. He'll still be on Fox. Ken Rosenthal. Nobody needs to shed a tear for him. Um, but it just feels like the things they focus on, the things they care about, the things that matter to MLB, 
are so weirdly skewed and are always seem to be skewed in one of two directions, protecting the shield or whatever baseball wants to call the logo um, and making money. That's it. And granted, yeah, baseball's always been about protecting itself and making money. But there really is something about Manfred where it feels like everything else has fallen away, which I think just reflects a broader turn in society where we're just becoming openly nakedly obvious about how money is the root of like every single thing that that like functions in this country so in that sense mlb is just kind of a weird mirror for where america is right now in general but you people aren't listening to this podcast to hear that you're you're, you're here to talk about the royals or whatever <laughs> they are here to talk listen to us talk about the royals but we're here to talk about the royals they're here to listen to the royals exactly the royals. i i would love to believe that there is someone in kansas city after this is posted john that they're they're on the commute home from uh, their job uh, in there in Kansas City. I was going to name a local business, but I just realized I have no idea what a local Kansas City company actually uh, is. I'm not sure of a... I know of a lot of other cities local. Uh, where Where companies. is Boulevard based? Because that's their local beer. Oh, okay. Well, maybe. There you go. Let's, so, say, let's say someone working at the Boulevard Brewery. Boulevard Brewery, if you're listening, my, mm-hmm. my mailing address can be easily found online. <laughs> can it really? No, I really hope not. I, I was going to say, and if you ask the right person or find the right person, but <laughs> I hope I'm not, sure John. Somewhere out there on the dark web. Mm. Um. Yeah, that person on their way to work because usually it's a night job, so they're on their way. They're they're on their way in to serve some lovely patrons, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh my god, do they really think that about Salvador Perez? Are they are they I not like seeing ninety? Are they not seeing ninety wins for us? Like, are they?" Uh, they're, they're they're already assuming i'm gonna crap on sally perez i like sally perez he's just well, a really bad defender who doesn't know how to take a walk well to be fair john if <laughs> i did the if we did the tally on who you've been up on and who you've been down on thus far i'm gonna say you've been down on more teams than up yeah I'm in part because they're uh, since we start from the bottom up yeah invariably we at least have well i mean we started with the ale so there's only one really down team to talk about mm. but for every other division invariably we're gonna get two to three teams at minimum where we're going to look at the roster and go, eh, that's like 75 wins. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is weird, but we'll... a lot of baseball hangs out in that, in that particular band is, is kind of the other problem. And that's great for, great for baseball. Um, Super. I, neither of us are ever getting Rob Manfred on this very podcast. It's not happening. I don't think we're, you, either of us are going to get on the network. We should try. You, we should you ask. You could be Jesus Christ himself. And I don't mm. think you're getting Rob Manfred on the podcast. That man is allergic to one-on-ones. I think he's done a grand total of like three or four of them in his time as commissioner. Who did he do it with? Like Mike Greenberg, I want to say? He's done a couple for TV. I, mm. I don't really count the TV ones because those are just softballs anyway. Mm. Um, I think he sat down with the AP a couple times to do longer stuff. Mm. I'm almost positive MLB is, MLB.com has probably run something. The thing is, I, I want to say he has done a Q&A with Verducci for SI back in the, a few years ago. I, I almost feel like I edited it, but I can't remember. Hmm. And I want to say he's done a piece with The Athletic, but I, I can't be sure on that one either. Verducci but earned it for what he wore for the Field of Dreams games. <laughs> well, the thing is, Verducci is one of the reporters I think that the like the league feels comfortable with because he's very much about the history of baseball. And mm-hmm. he's very much into it's a love story for him. Yeah, it's very much a love story. I think they can trust that he he wants to put baseball in the best light that he can. Which is not to say that Tom Verducci is not critical of MLB and baseball. Sometimes he can be very critical of both of those. I've I've edited. You just called him the notebook of Major League Baseball reporters. But I, I think I think with Tom, I I think he he loves baseball so much, and I think mm-hmm. he also. 
economist, I think of a more conservative bent when it comes to, to writing about baseball and, and reporting on it anyway. Not to, like not politically conservative, just kind of like he, he's a little more old school in the way he approaches things, I think. But it, all of all of it's a, a long way of saying that, like, yeah, Manfred does not really like doing one on one interviews. He doesn't really like taking questions when you see him. Uh, take questions during the he doesn't during the All Star Game in the World Series. I think there is two major uh, public pressers. He just always seems so vaguely annoyed at having to be there. Well, to be fair, I would too. Like this is where I, I get I get careful when I criticize other people with uh, doing spots and how available they are to the media because for me and who I am and I know who I am at my core. I would decline all of it too, <laughs> and I would hate to be there for everything. I would I would absolutely despise it. But I think I think there's a but that's a responsibility that the commissioner of baseball right. has because for for better or worse and for for you know at least for the the league side of things he is the face of the sport he needs to be the one who's out there promoting the sport talking about the sport you know telling fans that he hears their concerns whatever they may happen to be and that just doesn't happen in part because the role of the commissioner I think at least uh, very much so in Manfred's office has been less about promoting the sport and more about acting. And because this is the case, since he's elected by the owners, it's been more representative of the financial interests of the sport because he, I mean, again, elected by the owners, he is, he is, he has to toe the line that they give him more or less. And also because that's his background too. I mean, Manfred's a labor lawyer. That's what he knows. This is, this is the world he knows is the world of, of labor negotiations and contracts which is it's also kind of weird that MLB doesn't really seem to do a great job with those. Uh, the, all, everything that's happened with Fanatics, uh, the dissolution of the deal with Tops, the new deal with Tops and Fanatics, that, that whole thing has been very, very messy. But that's, I, I, I think, I guess it's not surprising then that if you put a labor lawyer, in, uh, the guy, especially not only a labor lawyer, but also Bud Selig's protege in charge of the league, it's going to reflect a more, a, a, a baseball that's more business than anything else. And baseball's always been a business, but under Manfred, it is a corporation. Mm. You know, it is very much financially driven. Yeah. Even the changes that are happening to the game, not even the changes, but I think you see that too in the changes that happen to the game. When we talk about expanded playoffs, well, that's going to happen because more teams in the playoffs means more revenue for those teams and for Major League Baseball. Ex- or pace of or faster pace of play. Yeah, if you get those games over with sooner, more people are probably going to watch. That is, mm-hmm. nice. that, I assume that is the the. It's not. It's not for baseball reasons. There's no baseball reason a game needs to be under three hours. We're seeing that in college football right now. Uh, college football games go five hours. Like the Tennessee Purdue game went about five. But is is that because game football games on the like the actual act of football is taking longer, or because the broadcasts and the commercial breaks are getting bigger? Uh, more the latter flags reviews reviews have definitely slowed sure. stuff down and, a lot and I, I imagine too that maybe there's something inherent to college football stretching out that there is with baseball the same way that like part of baseball's pace of play problem is just the inherent there's just a lot more dead time between pitches now mm-hmm. like there's just way more than there used to be that is something that could genuinely be enforced but i think as we've talked about before that also creates a potential domino effect of well these guys who are throwing max effort like a hundred times a game you're now asking them to take less rest in between every one of the 98 mile an hour fastballs they're like punching toward the strike zone. That's going to change the game one way or the other. And I think that's part of it too, is what I've always kind of found so strange about the way Manfred chooses to be commissioner, which is kind of introducing these potential rule changes and like making all these various tweaks is he's making so many of them. And in so many different places, like you don't really know what the effect of this is. 
the only kind of study you're doing is by treating the Atlantic League like a science lab, which on its own is just horrendous from a labor stance. Like these guys have lives. You know, you are you are screwing with these guys' livelihoods just to see what taking 15 seconds off a baseball game does, which you don't need to do. You really don't need to do. Like, there's no need to do it. Well, not no need, but you know what I mean. Baseball mm. will not die if, if games are regularly three hours and five minutes. Just no. at the same time, I don't think baseball will become the number one sport in America if games become two hours and 55 minutes. That 10 minutes is not the reason why people are not watching baseball. Yeah. You know? NFL games go on forever. Like you just said, college football games take years to play. Mm-hmm. And and people watch. I'm sure the Michigan Georgia games and the Alabama Cincinnati. Ooh, nailed all four. Nice. Look at you, uh, <laughs> college football guy, John Taylor. Yeah. People forget. I'm, sure, I'm I'm sure both of those games each took like four hours to play. Well, I think part of your college football love in in recent years, and <laughs> as you've grown more of a fan, is because of me and my Instagram stories and uh, uh, watching I've, me I've suffer. Learned, I've learned so much about the SEC, where mm-hmm. it just means more. You've, you've learned a lot about the SEC, and you get it. You know the saying. Um, yeah. Speaking of the SEC, though, um, in SEC country, the Atlanta Braves, you're, people forget. So this is something that I want to point out. Uh, if you're about to say people forget <laughs> that the 2021 Atlanta Braves won the World Series, one, I support it. Two, I am not going to sit through that every, every, every episode. No chance. <laughs> well, you did it. So there you go. It's out there. You knew where I was going. It, it Look, turns man, this, it. This was me with the 2004 Red Sox. Every second I had the opportunity, I was reminding people. Like you get that one year to bask in it. You know, just float in that pool of joy. That's anyway. why I'm rooting against the lockout ending. Let's keep this thing going. Let's lock this up for another year. Let's just. Uh, yeah, but mm. yeah, but if you get, but then it gets weird in terms of like you know home open. Eh, whatever, doesn't matter. You, you'll 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 do your new your new super fast bus parade through the city. <laughs> They just were a, flooring it on that thing like 30 miles an hour have you seen our traffic they were trying to get out of there man land traffic's anyway, no joke why, it's why no are joke. we talking about why are we talking about the atlanta braves well just uh we're not doing our deep dive in the atlanta braves we're not in the nl yet but i did want to ask because i was reading some some pieces and talking shop had something up a couple days ago and this was something that i was thinking about because the braves do have a lot of big decisions to make when they return and it's not just freddie freeman and the years and the dollars um that they they throw at him and what they ultimately decide to do there but um it's solaire it's rosario it's acuna it's um just what they're with christian pache what do you see there next year um they have a gigantic hole in center field and i just wanted to ask your perspective like based on the available free agents based on where they're at what you saw from pache last year and the the risk in running back rosario and soler and just hey they did it last year they should be able to do it this year and i'm just i'm canceling out ozuna because i i can't get there mentally like i i don't know what i would what i'll do on this very podcast or in real life if they do bring him back in any capacity but i'm he's out um just gone um should never play baseball again that all being said um i don't know i think they do actually have a sneaky big problem because i don't think they want acuna there and now i'm like i don't really know who out there makes a lot of sense i just my gut tells me you can maybe you bring one of rosario and Soler back you don't bring them both because that is just the the personification of lightning in a bottle and the the idea that both are going to be able to run that back and uh, be uh, above uh, replacement level level outfielders 
in 2022 is very unlikely to me. Uh, I would probably pass on both uh, if I were the Braves, but I I don't know. Uh, leave the memories alone. They earned it. I understand the 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 fan aspect of bringing these guys back and defending the title, but I don't know. My gut tells me I would make a tough choice and save that money for more money for Freeman and and just allocate my resources elsewhere. But what would you do in center field for Atlanta? Yeah, I, I think you're right when it comes to at least Rosario and Soler in terms of I think they'd both be guys who you project around one war in either system. Um, definitely because Soler is obviously defensive liabilities, maybe. No, he's just not a good defender. He should not be playing the outfield regularly. He, he, he needs to be a DH. Uh, Rosario, I think, has documented problems with consistency. Certainly also defensively not a great outfielder. Plus, then the question becomes, you know, if you're looking and, and also, you know, one, I just took a quick look at the free agent center fielders. The best one available is probably Brett Gardner. So that's you know, that should tell you a lot about what's what the options are there. Also, Brett Gardner, Atlanta Brave really does feel right, doesn't it? <laughs> no, <laughs> we just got some part of you that just feels like, yeah, kind of. No, we got we got done with the Nick Marquez experience. We don't need any more grit. Don't you want to do it again? No. The worst? No. <laughs> no thank anyway, you so there there are no good free agent options there i think that you can, right. that you can find I, uh, second in terms of the internal options I, I think with pache what he showed last year is he doesn't know how to hit yet um or at least does not have, know how to recognize pitches consistently make consistent contact do any of the stuff you need to do to be able to you know hit so that i think becomes an issue and i imagine atlanta will keep giving him chances because he is far and away the best option they have defensively uh, there's absolutely no question there. He is a defend. He is a major league ca- plus caliber major league defender at in center field, literally right now today. Uh, obviously, the issue is can he hit it all? He didn't. I imagine they're going to wonder the same thing about Drew Waters, except Drew Waters is not. I don't think defensively good enough to be a regular center fielder. So really, that leaves you in Atlanta with the question of how much do you trust Adam Duvall as your regular center fielder? Oh. He can oh. play defense. He's not terrible out there. I don't want him in center field every day. I don't think that's a guy you want him regularly out there. I mean, he's not—he's not a center fielder. He's a—he's got a Hunter Renfro vibe to him. He's better than you think, but he's also not elite out there. Well, maybe maybe Renfro with guards. I think you just described every white receiver that comes out of Clemson, Florida. Every. Week. I mean, I mean, he's sneaky good. I don't know how he gets catches. He he finds areas in the slot. He finds those five I mean, yard outs, and he turns something out of nothing. Other, yeah. You mean the other Hunter Renfro? <laughs> the other Hunter Renfro. Yeah, it works. They've met actually. It's very fun. Have they? But, okay. Yeah, there's a photo of Hunter Renfro and Hunter Renfro. Um, oh man. But long story short, I, I I don't know. I don't know what I, I think. You might have to consider a trade. Yeah. I don't have in front of me any particularly good list of like center fielders who I think would be available off the top of my head. I mean, do you see what Pittsburgh wants for Brian Reynolds and just try to plug him in there and see what works? Well, I wrote about that uh, last year before they traded for Rosario and Soler. Is that who I wanted? Like that was the trade target for me. I was like, this yeah, is not I, crazy. Let's get our Nate McLouth on. Let's do this. And I think for Pittsburgh, depending on what they want to do and how close they feel they are to having some semblance of a young core, you know, they may feel like uh, that Reynolds' value is probably not going to be higher than it got last season, especially because he's got a they, I don't know how many years of team control he's got left, but obviously every every year that goes by makes him that much less valuable because baseball is topsy-turvy stupid land. So, yeah, I mean, I think you might just have to approach it as a trade because otherwise you're pretty much saying we see if Pache can float. 
Otherwise, we just use Adam Duvall so we can patch something better together. I, I, I just want to be sure what it is, because I think you're right that they, not only do I think that they don't want to use Acuna in center, I think especially coming off a major knee injury, they should not be using him in center field. Let him let him rehab where he's comfortable and what he knows doing, and then maybe next season, if the knee is good, maybe then you talk about it, if you're still at a point where you do not have a better option. All right. Well, let's do our last uh, mini topic before uh, we review the 2021 Kansas City Royals, John. Um, The website, I don't know if you're familiar with them, fangraphs.com. Never heard of them, but go on. They are doing their Hall of Fame cases. And one came up this week from Jay Jaffe. Great, great baseball writer, Jay Jaffe on fangraphs.com. The 2022 Hall of Fame ballot. And he wrote about Justin Morneau. And I saw it and I was like, okay, there's no way. Like Justin Murnau, like he just doesn't, he, he's not Brad Hopp out there. He was not Brad Hopp, but I, I saw Hall of Fame and Justin Murnau and I just, I never put two and two together. Um, what did you make of Jaffe's piece and case for and against Murnau? So I think Morneau is a guy that uh, I'm sure when folks saw his name on the ballot, they probably didn't think about him for too long. And that makes sense because he had a very nice, he had a nice career for a chunk there. He had a very nice peak. Obviously, he was the MVP in 11, was it? I Do you remember that MVP run? I don't have any recollection. Mauer, I remember clearly, but I have no recollection of... Yeah, uh, it, it's one of those MVP seasons that I think... And I don't have the, the voting in front of me, so I don't know if it's one of those MVP seasons, too, where it's like, oh, such and such should have won. Because this was, I believe, the last year before the, the Trout-Carrera uh, battles began. Hmm. Which is probably also part of why that MVP run and race feels a little kind of minor because it ended up being the last, this last moment before that particular conversation kind of t- took over baseball. Cause I, I distinctly remember that the, the, uh, what was I going to say? The, the discourse the whole, between Cabrera and Trout. Yeah. The, the new oh yeah. The, his team's good and this guy's team's not good. So clearly yeah, Cabrera is more valuable. Your Miggy won the triple crown versus Trout being the all around best player. Mm-hmm. In baseball. Um, regardless, a great time for um, baseball discourse. A very fun time. Regardless, not the point, but yeah, Morneau was not a guy who was ever going to make the Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. Career was too short, wasn't productive enough, um, even with that MVP season, never really had a, a particularly... His peak was not particularly long either. The thing I had forgotten about in that, you could probably point to the major reason why he went downhill so quickly, as opposed to maybe being able to eke out the the, ne- the years necessary that maybe wouldn't have made him a Hall of Famer on the, on the writer's ballot, but might have earned him some veterans committee consideration, is the concussion he suffered not long after that MVP season that more or less ruined his career. And I had, I had genuinely forgotten that that concussion had, one, happened in the first place, two, that it had been such a, a life and a career and life-changing thing for him. Because, I, I mean, I don't know, again, with you know with the benefit of hindsight, uh, we can't necessarily, we, we have the benefit of hindsight now, but we can't necessarily say you know, how exactly a non-concussed Morneau would have performed barring anything else. But you can definitely make an argument that there was a better career there and one that probably would have earned something closer to legitimate Hall of Fame consideration. I I imagine Morneau is probably going to be one of those guys where if he does get a, he probably will get at least one vote or two from someone who just wants to, you know, honor him in that kind of way. Um, but more likely not is he, he'll, he'll certainly be a one and done. And I think it's probably pretty likely he gets no votes in the end anyway. It's it's a shame because he really was a great hitter for that short chunk of time. The other one I always forget with Morneau, he was the guy who won the Josh Hamilton home run derby. Oh. Hmm. And in Yankee Stadium back in uh, in 11. Gosh. His MVP year. 
That's it's just funny because that that will always be the Josh Hamilton home run derby, but the fact he won it or the Morneau won it. And it was kind of the same as uh, it was kind of the same as Minnesota, right? Where it was like that he played with Joe Mora or with uh, with um, Joe Maurer. So I think that's just he's the forgotten guy there. Yeah, I think he definitely kind of you know between Maurer and also Santana being there when he was. Um, I yeah, I, I think you're right that that Morneau became kind of a forgotten piece of that team, although he was very good for a while. And definitely the MVP run um, or the MVP win made him a more notable name, at least. But I think you're right, too. When you think about it now, it's like you can't really remember. If you're a Twins fan, obviously different. But at least for me, I can't I can't recall anything from that season. It's like, oh, yeah, the Justin Morneau year. Nobody really <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone really looks at it that way. I agree. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break, John, for a message from our sponsors, but we'll be back. The Kansas City Royals for our Kansas City Royal Brewer fans listening to this very podcast. All right, we are back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still joined by John Taylor of Fangraphs.com. Go check out Fangraphs.com today if you have not already done so. John, the 2021 Kansas City Royals yes. showed some life. They were they they're moving, I think, in the right direction a little bit. Um, Mike Matheny is still their manager. Dayton Moore uh, has been elevated to one of those positions that I'm not sure what it all means, but it just basically means that he is not the sole decision it's, maker <laughs> anymore. He's basically, your guy because it basically it, it's the thing that creates the off ramp a la Theo Epstein. Yeah. Uh, to getting out of the, to getting out of running the team day to day and into a more senior role where eventually you just get to leave the team entirely and hand it off to your subordinates. Um, because I met, I mean, Dayton Moore has been in charge of this team since roughly the dawn of time. So I got to imagine that, you know, there, there might just be a sense that he, you know, doesn't want to do the day to day grind anymore. Maybe wants to explore some other part of, of being in baseball the way Epstein does. But, um, I mean, this is, yeah, this is basically, you know, he, he's no, he is still in charge. This is still his team, but, uh, I would be I would not be surprised if in a couple of years we're talking about this being uh, someone else's team, whether or not that's uh, the combination of, you know, J.J. Piccolo and Lonnie Goldberg and, you know, whoever else is kind of in charge, especially of, a, you know, the amateur side of things for Kansas City, because I think even a lot of their focus is there right now. Well, who's to say? But I, I would not be surprised if this is not a Dayton Moore enterprise in the next few years, not necessarily because of any of a bad job he's done or anything. But just because I think he might be ready to let go. It's been a long time there. It has. But, John Taylor, when you look at their 2021 season, what would you say went right and what went wrong? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that it feels like they're up and coming when, I mean, this is still a team that won, you know, was in the mid-70s win total-wise. And, like, that's not... I think that's probably better than where a lot of folks expected the Royals to be. Um, maybe not necessarily at this point, but maybe then just if you kind of ask people offhand, what do you think the Royals are going to do this year? People would be like, eh, they're not going to be good, right? I mean, so you can argue they got within striking distance of 500, I think is probably the nicest way you could put it. But the reality is it was just not a very good team overall. I mean, and, I, and there were some nice individual performances, obviously Sal Perez, uh, some of their young pitchers had some nice runs. I think Whit Merrifield continues to do his very underrated thing, and he's just never—he's just always going to be there. No, no, he's never going to get to contribute to a con- to a contending team, which just makes me the saddest. But regardless, like there were some good individual performances there, but I think the on the whole and overall, there's just not really there's not enough depth, there's not enough consistency. 
I particularly do not like Matheny as a manager. I've never thought particularly much of him, and I, I don't really get what he brings to the table beyond that leader of men stuff, which I always find to be a heapingly overrated thing anyway when it comes to managers, but whatever. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, all of which is a long way of saying that this is a team that I think is better than people expected, but is still mm-hmm. not particularly good. And when you look at their roster now, I, I think that still holds. And I think that this is a team where if, if things go, particularly when it comes to the young guys who are going to get, who are either there or going to be called up. And I know we're, you know, the big one there is Bobby Wood Jr. who we're going to talk about separately. Like, I, I think if, if they get enough of those young guys up and performing well, you know, I, I think we could see something. I think they could improve on last year's win total, but a lot needs to go right. And there's not a lot of depth that that does not happen. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to be better than we expected, but I just still don't think that's going to add up to much. I think we're still about two years away, probably closer to like three, depending on what happens from an actual competitive Royals team. The big issue for me is going to be, are they going to spend to add the pieces when they get to that point? You know, Ala, how they did back in 2015 when they won the World Series. Uh, and also, well, I mean, beyond the player development stuff, it, for me, it's just a question of, you know, is that is what they're doing going to be enough when you also look at the White Sox and the Tigers in particular, and um, you know, if Minnesota gets things going back again, and Cleveland always has good pitching, like it, it's the AL. Like I think we said last week, the AL Central is not a good division necessarily, but it's a tough division. And I think two Chicago and Detroit in particular have, if not the same, I think Detroit has the same window as Kansas City does. You know, those are teams that are going to be there. I think for a little bit. You know, I, I don't think the White Sox are, and Tigers in particular are going anywhere. But to me, to me, the Padres, they're the, the Padres. The Royals give off a vibe of the Padres like three or four years ago. You know what I mean? Hmm. Where it's like, you know, the youth movement is coming, but until it gets there, things are going to be kind of crap. I don't know. The difference with them is I think the Padres had a much more, um, much more deep well, youth movement. This yeah, is like yeah, one yeah. man coming through. It's like, yeah, here comes our Mike a, Trout or Fernando Tatis Jr. Is, that's a that's a good that's a good point. This is a lesser version of that, but mm. I think it gives me the same vibes as everyone's eyes are fixed toward the future. That doesn't necessarily mean they don't care about the present, but definitely the bigger investment is going to be in the former than the latter. Mm-hmm. And then it's also Whit Merrifield has just stayed around. Salvi Perez has just stayed around. I think they deserve credit for keeping guys like that. They took they did that while also taking a flyer on your old friend Andrew Benatendi. Um, he was okay this year. 106 WRC plus. He's an average outfielder. He's someone who can keep around. Um, Want to go glove too? Yeah, he's fine. Um, what would be nice if uh, Mondesi uh, figured it out? He still just 136 plate appearances last year. Um, he just had all the upside in the world. He's like one you can't. If you're a, a market like the Royals, you cannot mess up the way they did with Mondesi. Um, him coming up as soon as he did, and it just all unfolding we don't have to rehash everything that happened with Mondesi as he came up into the majors but that is something to keep in mind when you think about the Royals in the short term is uh you have to think about Bobby Witt Jr. and not putting too much on him too soon because there's no guarantees they come up and they're just uh they're they're just Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto like that's I think that's more of a rarity and I think you should always operate with some caution. That doesn't mean um intentionally sabotage arbitration uh for for your young guys. But it does mean that there is some value in being careful because so much is riding on Bobby Wood Jr. over the next couple of years in Kansas City. 
Yeah, and I think if there's a if there's a difference here when it comes to wit and when it comes to Mondesi, there were always going to be questions about Mondesi when it came to plate discipline and and stuff like that. That was always going to be an issue with him. It obviously continues to be an issue with him. He is never going to be more than tools until he figures that out. And obviously, the the ceiling for the Royals is a lot higher if he can figure that stuff out. But at the same time, that's going to be a challenge. I think wit is, I think. I think evaluators feel way more comfortable about saying he is going to produce, if not right away, then very soon. He's very advanced for, for someone his age. Best high school player in Texas, which is absolutely astonishing to think about. Obviously, the pedigree, he's Bobby Witt's son, so he's been around major league clubhouses, been around the game. He's got the genetics. You know, I think this is someone that evaluators probably feel closer with regards to, to like an Acuna or to a Vlad, maybe, or maybe something like a Vlad Jr., where there is a slight adjustment just because well, baseball is really damn hard, but also because, you know, he's young. He's very young. He was drafted out of high school. This is not a guy who's had, you know, who's gotten to the exposure at least to, say, college pitchers who are, you know, not great, but it's at least one step higher up. Regardless, even with all that, I really would not be surprised if they start the year with them hmm. on the major league team. I think this is a, I think this is a potential like Tatis situation where, you know, they say all the words about, obviously, we want to do what's best for him. Like, we want to see what he does in spring training, blah, 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 blah. Um, and obviously, and this is a huge caveat that comes ahead of that as well. That what, what is, whatever is in the new CBA will obviously have an enormous impact on whether or not younger guys like Witt are able to start the year with a team or have to, you know, you have to keep playing service time shenanigans. I obviously don't, you know, haven't talked to anyone at the Royals. I don't know how comfortable they even are with that idea, regardless of the contract status. But, I mean, would you be surprised? The Royals don't have really better options at third. Well, Nicky Lopez was good this year. I don't know what you do with Nicky Lopez. I think think the Royals would be happy if they could stick Lopez at shortstop. I don't know if he's defensively good enough for there, but I think they can try until they figure out what Mondesi's deal is. Well, also, probably is not good enough to stick at shortstop. Mm. And put Witt at third, because they also don't have any options. Third base was a hole for them last year. It has been a hole for them pretty much since Mike Moustakas left. I wouldn't be surprised, especially because that gives you the little boost. It, it, it's, I think the Royals, too, are one of the teams that have been really, really good in the past about not messing with guys' service time and about you know promoting guys when they feel like they actually need them. And you saw what they did with their young pitchers last year. They didn't, they didn't hold those guys back. They called them up when they needed them. And they let them take some serious lumps. I wouldn't be surprised if the same is true of Witt. I understand like what you're saying. Like, do not want to risk the entire future of the franchise, maybe necessarily that early. I just think that there's a better than a better than or at least a higher than zero chance he breaks camp with the team, if not a good chance. But obviously the new CBA and exactly how long we're locked out is going to speak way more to that happening and also its performance. But I think with a really hot spring, if the Royals don't do anything else on the left side of the infield, which given the options, there's unless they want to go nuts for Trevor Story or Carlos Correa, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. Well, if they keep Nicky Lopez in the infield, it's going to be a hot spring. Is this a is this a Nicky Lopez reference? Is there, is there another Nicky Lopez in the world beyond him? No, he's just a good looking guy. Have you seen those eyes? Oh, okay. Oh, Have you seen I, those I eyes? He, I don't know what he looks like. Is you gotta look at Nicky man? Lopez. Is he comely and fair? He's a strong Dansby Swanson vibes. Okay, so that big like the flow with the mm-hmm. kind of like the, the, the stubble that's sexy. Yeah. yeah. It's Nicky Lopez. Nicky, I'm, I'm I'm doing a quick Google search now. I want I want to see what this what this handsome man looks like. Let me put it to you this okay. way. Let me put it to you this way, John. There's a quarterback. He's got a, he's got a charm. Mm-hmm. You got to keep him in charm. the infield. 
gets people in seats. You got to have it on there. Um, no, it's he's it, not. He's not my cup of tea, but <laughs> I, I can see how he'd be others' hot beverage of choice. Yeah, the sports renaissance woman loves Dancy Swanson. Um, big Dancy Swanson person, and then Sam Hartman. I know you're a big Sam Hartman guy. Uh, quarterback of Wake Forest. Oh, okay. No. I was gonna say, who isn't a Dancy Swanson fan with that hair? Goodness. Yeah. Couldn't relate. Yeah, Mallory Pugh is a lucky woman. <laughs> Um, she gets to run her hands through the hair. <laughs> How many people dream of that? I'm sure a lot. A lot. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot. Um, yeah. Talking about it. How do I go back to uh, the Kansas the Royals? City? I don't know. Royals. It's your podcast. It's your problem. Well, that's true. Um, the starting pitching, though. I also we haven't really talked about that. They have a lot of young arms. Do you, is, is it not kind of wild that Mike Miner? pitched the most games or had the most innings and also started the most amount of baseball games for the yeah, Kansas City I, Royals. When I was looking at the 2021 Royals roster, I saw Mike Miner up there. I, I had forgotten he was on the Royals last year. And I was like, Mike Miner? What? Well, that's silly. Well, that was probably just a one-year thing because he's you know he's an old veteran and they needed someone to do that. Now, to take a big sip of water and look at the <laughs> roster for the 2022 Royals. And there he is, sitting right there, waiting to do his thing again. Despite the fact he really wasn't any good last year and is like 34 years old now. Yeah, starting. Gotta get him to Texas again. <laughs> Just send all the. It's like back when they used to send all the all the broken pitchers to the Astros, and they would fix them. Just send them to the Rangers now. Send yeah. all those rando veterans to the Rangers, and, and have them turn them into Cy Young candidates. But yeah, pitching is going to be a problem for them because, for as aggressive as they were with their young guys, because they are you know they do have a lot of good arms in that system. None of them really produced last year, except in bursts. And all of them are both young and all of them are all young enough and also kind of control challenged enough that you don't there's no real reason to expect a serious jump in year two unless something kind of goes nuts. Like Brady Singer and Chris Bubich and um, Jackson Kowar and Daniel Lynch. Those guys aren't bad pitchers by any stretch of the imagination, but they got their brains beat in all of them and in ways that did not suggest that the learning curve is going to be particularly easy for them. Uh, and I think you see a similar thing with Asa Lacey, their number one pitching prospect and a uh, guy who's you know, going to get a lot of consideration and probably going to show up very high on various offseason top 100 lists. But also a guy who walked seven batters per nine in AAA, or in, uh, in AAA last year. You know, Granted, he struck out 14 per nine, so you know, pros and cons. But <laughs> I, the thing you run into there is, okay, we have these young pitchers, but young pitchers struggle. Young pitchers break. Young pitchers sometimes it just doesn't come together. You know, mm-hmm. ask uh, ask the ask the Braves how the Chris Medlin Brandon Beachy years went. Wait, break. hold on. Why did they deserve those strays? <laughs> what did, what was was that necessary? It's not their fault. But I'm just saying. Like, hold on. I enjoyed the Chris Medlin experience. Brandon Beachy was more frustrating for me. Um, but like every every team has that period where they have those young pitchers. Also, we had Mike Miner. He was part of that group. Fine, I'll take I'll take a shot at the Yankees instead. Ask them how the Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, uh, Andrew Brackman, Tyler Clippard, Tyler, well, eh, the Clippard robot, I liked him, but you know how Ian Kennedy, how all those guys, Ian guys, Kennedy. Sometimes it just doesn't work, you know. That happens, and I don't know that the Royals really have a plan beyond that because one, they don't have any good internal options who aren't young guys. It's well, do you Miner like the young guys? Brackman. How would you rank the young guys who got a lot of innings last year? I don't know. I mean, they all kind of were the same to me, which is a guy who didn't know where the ball was going like 60% of the time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I it's really usually like not Daniel, good. I really like Daniel Lynch's stuff. I think he has probably the best stuff of that group. 
I mean, Brady Singer was great in college, and that has to like, – again, he was the NCC, and it just means more there. So that That's has true. to mean something. Uh, I mean, hey, and, we, we just won the College World Series again. Yeah, Kumar has very good stuff. So yeah. well, we don't have to mention like, – no, 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 hold on. Nothing about Vanderbilt. We don't have to do that. Is Jackson Kowar uh, Vandy is the former Commodore? Who? Jackson Kowar? Uh, I don't think so. No, because you mentioned you mentioned Vanderbilt. I, I didn't know why Vanderbilt came up all of a sudden. Oh, I think you said Rocker. Never mind. I miss. I completely misunderstood you. No, Jackson Kowar. Okay. Yeah, he's one of their many good pitching prospects. Yeah, I heard Rocker. Um, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. The Royals love their big Southern pitching arms. Like all those mm-hmm. guys are like eight feet tall and are either went to like a Georgia or Texas high school or went mm-hmm. to an SEC college. Like that is their thing. But like, if that doesn't work out, what else are you going to do? Like Brad Keller and Mike Miner ain't going to do it. And unless they have distinct plans to sign Carlos Rodon, which doesn't really make sense for where they are right now, there's nothing really left on the market. You're looking at Tyler Anderson and Trevor Cahill at that point in time. And that does feel very Royals. Yeah. I feel like Cahill's been a Royal at some point. I think Cahill probably, yeah, that one, that one, when I saw his name on the list of available free agent starters, like, wait, he has been a Royal, right? I didn't bother looking it up because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to lose the dream. But regardless, they don't really have a lot of, good options the market doesn't have a lot of good options for them and because it's the royals they don't really do the free agent market anyway i mean you only like they only really pick up the cheap guys most of their stuff is kind of under the radar trades for guys like benintendi or, or actually i don't remember solar was a trade or not i think he was um point of it i know rosario was now you have me wondering i don't remember if solar was a trade i think he was he was also the team worst in wc plus yeah because he was terrible when he was in kansas city like um, and then unbelievably was- bad and then he rebounded because one, he probably got a bunch of pitchers who didn't know don't ever throw him anything but off speed pit or are but breaking pitches. Mm-hmm. And two, he's also just a really good hitter who's talented. So, but you know, all of that aside, the Royals are not a team that is going that are going to fix the holes that they have in free agency. That's just not their strategy. They don't spend. That's still a thing that they're, you know, they're not they're not running like a you know they're not running like an Orioles payroll, but it, it's not great either. You know, this is not a team that's going to spend, and it's not a team that historically has. So that's kind of the thing. If this youth movement that they're doing doesn't pan out and if all of this pitching doesn't turn into something, they're in some trouble. Because, like, offensively, I think they're in a better position prospect-wise offensively because the guys there feel a little more solid when it comes to Witt and especially when it comes to uh, Nick Prado, who's a guy who really had a, a great season last year and I think is probably going to be the answer to their, to their first base question of the future that another position they haven't solved since Eric Hosmer left. Um you know, I, I think there's probably a better feeling of stability there, or at least a feeling that the floor is much higher. You know, the rotation might have a higher ceiling, but boy, that floor is nasty if things don't work out. And also, um, not as important because they're they're a bad team, so it's never really going to matter. That's not a good bullpen either. You looking at it, like you, you're not, you don't really see more than two names you feel comfortable with in there. Mm. So what's your ultimate prediction? What do you think they do uh, this offseason? And how do you, like, we're going to do our preview in a couple months, but as of right now, and what, what they still have to do, where do you see them wins-wise I and mean, finishing in the Central? Because I think if a couple things break right and Wits awesome right away and he plays right away like you suspect, that like the second spot in the AL Central is open. I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think they're good enough to do that. I think they would need lots and lots. They were like five games right. back of doing that this past year. Yeah, but that's because the rest of the division was. I don't think we're going to see necessarily. I think Minnesota will be better than they were last year. I think Detroit will be better than they were last year. Okay. Uh, I think Cleveland will probably be about the same. 
on the one hand, you're right. That does definitely open up the door to being the one to challenge Chicago. On the other hand, it's not like Kansas City is visibly either on paper or anything else better than either of those other three teams. Like, would you would you say that the Royals are in definitive? I think if you, I think picking the Royals or the Royals ahead of the Twins, for example, is because you feel better about Wit and company doing something. And I think you might be able to make that argument with Cleveland too. Although Cleveland obviously has an enormous leg up in the presence of Jose Ramirez, uh, Kansas City doesn't have anyone on that level, even with Salvi Perez. It just turns of all, overall all around value, but beyond that, do you like? We're, we'll obviously talk about Detroit uh, literally next week, or is it going to be Cleveland next week? Uh, let's see where we're we at. I think it will be Detroit next week. Yeah, there we go. So when we talk about them, obviously we'll be able to see you know how we both feel about where they are right now roster wise, because that's a team that definitely still has more to do if they really are serious about contending. I also just don't think the Royals are going to do anything more. I think they might pull off a couple trades and sign a couple minor free agents. But I think in terms of, like, impact moves, I mean, they didn't make one in the first place. I think the impact move, if they make it, is going to be starting the season with Witt. Uh, I, I just don't really see what trade... I mean, granted, I, I don't know what else, what they might be looking at, but in terms of the holes they have, like, I, I just don't really see them... They're just not going to... I just don't see them making that kind of flash move anyway. You know, this isn't a team that now has, say, you know, it's in a similar situation where it had James Shields and could deal him for something, you know? Uh, as part of like the Will Myers trade, which actually really should be the Trey Turner trade. But regardless, like, yeah, I, I just don't really see what it is Kansas City is going to do because historically they don't really do anything. And that's why, for me, ceiling-wise, this team feels like eh, something, I think, in the 75 to 80 range, which isn't bad, but I just I don't really see a whole lot of room past that unless, some, unless things go absolutely nuts in terms of the young guys. Like, unless Witt comes up, and is just like current Tatis right from the get. Mm. It's a good way of ending it, John. If he's Tatis uh, right from the get, he might be. I mean, I do think it's it is. I don't think that's a crazy uh, prediction on my part for what it's worth. I'm not a prospect guy by any stretch, but like everything you see and read about the kid makes it sound like he is going to be a serious impact talent from day one. John Taylor, we can. Check out you and the good folks at Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com today. If you have not already done so, go check out John Taylor on Twitter.com at J.A. Taylor. Follow myself at Chase Dumble underscore Thomas. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review. If you have not already, tell a friend about the, the podcast. Once a week, John and I talk major league baseball and this very feed. Um, ChaseThomasPodcast.com. All that good stuff. But, John, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, man. All right, welcome back to the Jason Moss Podcast, where I am now joined by someone who is just a few weeks removed from playing in a state title game. It's head coach of the Calhoun Yellow Jackets, Clay Stevenson. Clay, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I appreciate it, Chase. I, I, thanks for having me on. When you say it like that, it, it takes you back right to that moment. It was, uh, it was an exciting, exciting time. I wish we could go back and do it again, but it was a, uh, it was, it was a fun um, you know, week leading up to it, and, and the game didn't work out. But state championships are, are always special, so um, they're always good to, to bring back up those memories. What are you going to remember most about that week? Yeah, the week is just state championships are so – special we've been you know lucky here to play in a pretty good bit of them but you know everyone is so special because it's that senior class's teams that's what i'll remember the most about the season in general and that week 
just seeing how the uh, the seniors get to uh, enjoy the week, and you've got different things that go on during the week. You know, we have a, a little pep rally and a bonfire, and just different things that they get to experience with their family that that we've gotten to experience as coaches a lot. But uh, but getting to see that that senior class do it is um, what we'll we'll stay with them for a while. Do you do you like the service? Do you like the the setup? for how they do it now outside of the bins and at uh, Georgia State did you like the setup and how your team got ready for it and practicing and all that was that was that good for you guys yeah Georgia State's an awesome venue you know they it's, it's cool how they turned in um you know a place where we've all been to you know a lot of baseball games mm-hmm. over the years they turned into a to a great football arena you know I'm, this year we got really unlucky with the, with the weather mm-hmm. um, it was raining for the weekend so other than that you know the that they the way the GHSA and Georgia State worked together to to put that on was um, was definitely first class. Wish we could have had some better weather, but um, it, it, for from that standpoint, it was it was good. How much did the weather uh, affect your play calling and just how how you approached the game against Warner Robins? Yeah, the thing about it was we knew it was going to be raining going in, so we did a lot of you know wet ball drills going into it. Um, and when the rain happens, it, it happens on both sides. It's not just raining on your side, so. And I don't say what had a, a whole lot to do with it. It affects, you know, what you can call in certain circle situations. But, you know, I felt good about things that we had in for the game. And just we, um, you know, couldn't quite get it done. Warner Robins is a great team. They've they've played in, I think, five or six state championships in a row. And they're back-to-back champions this year. So, um, you know, any uh, can't make any excuses. They're a great football team. And, and, uh, and they, they did a good job. What did they do uh, in this particular state title game that just frustrated you that you just, you look at it, when you go back and look at the tape at what happened, you were just like, I, we, we just couldn't, we couldn't stop this or we couldn't stop that. Yeah, we dug ourselves a hole early. Um, we had two drop, um, had two special teams blunders that we had and, and got down 14 nothing. Then we, we called right back into it. We had a chance. We were down 14-7 with a chance to tie it up um, and then didn't. So the thing that, that really gets you is we were, there was probably five minutes ago in the half, and we're down 14-7. And then the snap of a finger, it was 24-7 going into the half. So um, that right there is kind of if we could, you know, you can't replay everything or second-guess anything, but if we could go back and, you know, play those five minutes over, um, hopefully have a different outcome and, you know, go into the second half a little bit closer. You know, 24-7 is a pretty big hole to climb out of. So that was that's kind of where I wish we could, you know, do something a little bit different. The biggest difference between coaching in 2020 versus 2021 was what for you? The biggest difference, uh, well, number one, we got to have a full off season, mm-hmm. and, um, and we we call it we call it a separation season. We didn't call it an off season this year, but but going into 2020, you know, we couldn't um, do anything in a full group. Uh, we didn't have get to have spring practice. The the kids hadn't seen each other, you know. At, at least out of school setting since the shutdown, whenever that was. So um, you didn't get a chance to, to – that's a big part of high school football is from – we treat it from the banquet up until the first game because that's when your your next year's leaders step up and, and do that kind of stuff. So two years ago, we didn't get to have it. So this year, and we had a really great group of, of core seniors this year. Um, so that was the biggest difference is getting those guys – a chance to lead and and by leading you know i don't mean yelling at them and doing this but you know the younger guys get to see them you know pick up trash or get to see them leading the weight room or in the classroom so it was a huge difference to me of, of just for not only for the coaches but for the players as well it kind of got back to 
you know, it's never going to be, I guess I said never, but it'll be normal sometime, but it wasn't quite normal, but it was at least closer to normal this past year than it was two years ago. Did you and the kids, did you notice, a, a, a I mean, even with your coaching staff, a, a difference between moods and just how up for, for football and just at making sure to enjoy every moment more so than the previous year? No, you hit the nail on the head. I understand. That's what I, I kept, even the last two years, um, I kept reiterating that any time that we get a chance to, to walk across Yellow Jacket Drive is the road that separates the, the school and the football field. Anytime we get a chance to walk across there and, and, and be together as a team and, and practice or play, uh, make sure we realize how blessed we are um, because it can get taken from us, you know, in a heartbeat. You know, two years ago we had uh, a lot of friends of mine that are coaches that that weren't getting to play and weren't getting to practice. So you know, we were very lucky that our school system administration, you know, did all the took all the precautions and you know kept health and safety first, but also um, realized how important sports were. And then this year the same way, you know, there were, there were games that got canceled and when we lost the game um i guess week three so it was you you definitely when you when you step back and look at it um this is the best time of those kids lives and and we try to make sure that that we tell them that all the time and make sure that they uh like i said they they appreciate it and realize that they can be taken from you any minute and um the kids really embraced it they did i think that to answer your question yes they you saw a big um a lot more excitement and um you know they didn't didn't have the same attitude out there at practice or or, or games because um you know they didn't know if it was going to get to to do it again the next week i uh i talked to a lot of coaches uh last year um about just installs because i was curious about what got thrown out um in so many different uh coaches playbooks because that was the reality of just not having summer practice spring practice anything that just a lot of the stuff that folks wanted to do you just couldn't you couldn't do you didn't have the time to install it and once games get rolling it's just it's kind of too late um so a lot of playbooks changed uh for 2020 and it's a lot of film looks different uh when you look at it this year versus last year and i wanted to get from your perspective <laughs> with your kids this summer in the spring where you're like okay so last year we're throwing a lot of that out here is a bunch of new stuff that i need you guys to learn and memorize because things are back to normal and that means back to uh a lot of stuff, a lot of verbiage, a lot of a lot of packages, personnel stuff that uh, you guys got to master. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is you, um, you you don't when you didn't have that time. Um, like I said earlier, the the biggest thing for us here at Calhoun is we don't do too much stuff um, mm. outside of that because we you know we have most of our kids play other sports in basketball, baseball, or track, so. You know, those times are, are for those others. So we don't do a whole lot of X's and O stuff. Um, you know, spring we kind of hit it a little bit, but most of time we're missing our quarterback because they're playing baseball. So it's a um, hmm. it's a little bit hodgepodge in, in the spring here, uh, just because we we really want kids playing other sports because we're a you know we're a small you know we get bumped up because of the uh, the classification um, rules. So we're we need to use all our players in in as many sports as we can. Um, but the the thing that we didn't get is just like I said that that leadership building and that kind of thing. But uh, the other thing it did is it, it really, when you didn't get to do some things the year before, you realized that in some ways it helped you um, or, or you didn't need to do it, or you were, you're doing too much in, in some areas that you could, you know, do a little bit less and, and meetings were the same way that you can, you can do a lot of meetings through zoom or different kind of things that you um, as a coaching staff that you normally would have to, 
get them all in here on a on a you know a weeknight or something, and you can just do it on Zoom. So we learned a lot from um, from that year of having to do things different. I think it made us all better coaches um, for sure because we had to really think outside the box. And then you know when you get to practice with the way the the quarantine um, rules are, you, you didn't a lot of times you didn't know who was going to be there. You know you, you'd have to to move your scout team around or this. So. Uh, it's definitely made us a, a lot better coaches than um, than we were three years ago. Interesting. Um, that's also another thing you don't even really think about it from the outside, just scout team and special teams and yeah. little things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, what were you most proud of, though, about your team this year? When you look back and you think about where you started and what you – because, I mean, there, there's no way to just – not have your own internal expectations and ideas about how kids are going to play and how certain guys are going to perform in certain roles. And when you look at the schedule, what's what what should be the expectation for you and your team? Um, with all that being said, what uh, what were you most proud about uh, for your group of guys yeah, this year? Yeah, most proud of how we the resiliency we showed. You know, we lost um, a really tough game, our second game of the year to Macaulay, and um, they they beat us pretty good. But this this group's team. Uh, or this this group's uh, this year's seniors, um, they did such a good job of of never getting too far up or too far down. It didn't matter if we win, if we won or lost. They were they knew they had to come to work every day and and put in the same work and get ready for the next game. So you know we lost that game and we lost another tough game, the region championship game to Cartersville, and you know, I think it it hurt us coaches a little more than it did them because they knew that we still had. You know goals in front of us that we could that we can um, get to, and so um, I think that's what I'm probably most proud of just the the resiliency they showed. And not only this year, you know they had a, a coaching change three years ago when 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 we took over, and um, and just everything they've battled throughout the year, um, moving up to five or throughout their career, moving up to five A, and just seeing their um, hard work and dedication and commitment to this football program. And the school and the community pay off and, and get to play for a state championship game. Obviously, we want to win it, but um, but like I said, just seeing that seeing that group of seniors get to go out, um, you know, not quite on top, but against the uh, getting to showcase our school and our community on the, on the state level was was pretty neat. What 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 win uh, meant the most to you this year? Yeah, I think the, it has to be the semifinal game against West Trinity. Okay, you know, they're, they're such a great team, um, and it was a it was a home game. You know, we had a lot of um, former players here and, and alumni, and it was, a, it was a packed crowd. And we had a really big game last year against Coffee County that we lost. So, so getting to win that game and getting to uh, to to see our kids get to celebrate on on the football field one more time, you know, the seniors especially because. In the playoffs, we were on the road because we were a, a, a two seed. So we were on the road, second and third round. Didn't get didn't get to or didn't know that we'd get to play another home game. Uh, just the way the brackets fell out, uh, worked out, we got to uh, play a semifinal game at home, and um, that was a that was a pretty neat atmosphere. And, and we came out and played probably our best game of the year and, and got the win to to get to play for the championship. Is there a game in particular that you wish you had a do over for? that just later on you were like, man, if I had just done this or I'd done that, uh, or are you always just moving forward? Yeah, you got to move forward. Yeah. Obviously you want to look at different things that you can do. I think the, um, you know, a couple of, 
uh, turning point games, I guess you say, was was the Macaulay game. We were we were down big at halftime, but came out the second half and put together a few good drives and got some stops. And I think it made us better as a football team. You know, we didn't take the loss and just tuck our tails and and get off the field. We we kept com- competing and kept grinding and and got better. And then our next big game, I guess, was um, against Cedartown. You know, they ended up making the semifinals um, in their classification as well. And we came out and played a really good game against them. So just the, the between that Macaulay second half and the Cedartown game, um, I think that's when I guess you'd say the, the turning point or what when the kids started realizing that, that we you know, we do have a pretty good football team and if we just keep uh keep working, keep our, our head down, it didn't matter if like I said, if we win win, lose a draw, we were coming back to work on Monday and got ready for the next week. How did you come to figure out, okay, this is the offensive philosophy and this is the offensive scheme and personnel packages that I'm most comfortable with that I I love running the most? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, that's something that's different every year. Luckily, we had a, a two-year starting quarterback. So we were able, and he was super smart. So we were able to put a lot of um, a lot of things on him, gave him a lot of calls. And like you said, we've got a, a bunch of different personnel groups and formations that um, that that fit our offense. And it, that's one another thing that you never know until game four or game five of what you're really good at. And and once we honed in on that, um, we got really, really smart kids and great great coaches that they get the game time later. All of our kids play both ways, so they're having to learn, you know, two two different um, game plans offensively and defensively. So um, just gauging you know, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, and also what you can put on them. You know, we have five non-region games, and that's kind of, as a coaching staff, that's what we use those games for, to see how far we can press them. Do we need to take stuff out? Can we keep adding in this area or this formation? Um, so we use those first five games to do that and hopefully be ready for the region schedule. And we were, um, you know, I think it worked out pretty good this year. The hardest thing about playing quarterback for you is what? Yeah, just the the amount of stuff we put on and mm-hmm. i say that it wasn't tough for christian he was a two-year starter like i said he was a, a super smart kid and he could if we called something wrong or if somebody lined up wrong you know he knew enough about the offense that he could either correct the call that, that i may have made wrong or you know line somebody else um up the right way so i think that the most difficult thing is is um taking what we put in on Sundays and and learning the game plan and um, and being able to execute it on, on Friday. How has coaching changed the most since when you first became a head coach? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, you know, I think the I've been, I think this is my 18th or 19th year, so um, the, the kids have changed a lot. You know, it's, it's no more you can just say, this is what we're going to do. You know, you got to, you really got to give them a, a reason. And that's, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. That's, that is what it is. You, you need to give them a reason of, of why you're doing something. That's something I've learned um, being here for so long with, with um, uh, Coach Lamb was the head coach before. Of always having a reason to do what you do. It doesn't matter if it's where you're going to put the, the sign on the wall, or what color jersey you're going to have, or, or, or what play you're going to run. Always have a reason for, uh, for what you do. So, I think just building on that is, 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 is ever-changing and trying to figure out different ways to motivate and different ways to, uh, to keep kids together um, and, and working toward one goal. Do you, have any, uh, do you have any holiday Christmas traditions that folks would be surprised to learn about you? Uh, not necessarily traditions. I, I try to 
do what most coaches do. I've got two kids now, so mm-hmm. they, uh, it was it was a uh, it was a eventful eventful couple of weeks off. We we played about as much as football. It was good with with both of those, and um, so I don't think there's anything outside the ordinary of a, of a Christmas tradition that, that that I do or don't do. We always watch you know, Mr. Wonderful Life on on Christmas Eve. That is okay. the thing that I that I that's my movie that I watch one time a year. Uh, that we've I've watched it forever, and okay, I can quote just about every every part in that movie. So that that'd be the one thing that that I definitely do every year. When was the last time you were in a movie theater? We actually went. We took uh, my seven year old to see American Underdog. Okay, it was it was great. It was um, it was an awesome movie. I will, uh, you know, it was it was good that you can take your family to. There aren't many movies that you can um, you know take a family to, but it was uh, it was good. It was a great story. But it it was the first time that we'd been there, and probably. I mean, it may have been two years. So, oh wow, uh, it, it was neat. When you have a day off, it, let's just say, like, not even right now. It's a busy time all the time. But your perfect day off, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm playing golf. Okay, I'm playing golf. Uh, um, I don't get to do it too much anymore. Like I said, I've got two uh, a two year old and a seven year old. But um, anytime that I can get out there and and play golf um, is is probably going to be a, a pretty good day. Are you pretty competitive, even on the golf course? Very competitive. Um, that's that's the one good thing that that's kind of why I play. You know, I don't I don't treat golf as a hobby. You know, mm-hmm. I treat I treat it as a sport, and it gives me something else competitive to do in between. Because uh, the thing about football is you practice forever. Yeah, you're you're, guar- you're guaranteed ten games a year. That's the only only sport that you, that you're only guaranteed ten games, and they're spaced out. You know, over a you know a week's time once it gets to the season. So. Um, any chance I can get to uh, to go out and compete um, at, at anything, whether it be you know ping pong or, or golf, it's it's um, it's it's not just uh, doing it for fun. Do you let your kids win when you play them and stuff, or are you just like I gotta I gotta send the message now? Like you gotta know, you gotta work for, it, you gotta earn it to beat dad. I, I do a little bit of both. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm not one that's gonna beat him all the time, but mm-hmm. um, but I have to let him know you know where his place is. <laughs> but 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 to keep him coming back, you gotta let him win some. So uh, it's uh, it's a little bit of both. I like it. Was there one particular gift that was the biggest hit in your household this year? The Nintendo Switch. That, okay. That Santa, that Santa brought the seven year old was he's um he's been all about it. So that 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 was the the big ticket item, I guess. Your favorite getaway spot is where? Uh, well, you know, we, me and my wife like going to Chattanooga. Okay. For a weekend, you know, just. We do it every at the end of football season every year. We go um, on Martin Luther King weekend when we're out of school, and that's kind of our our, our get to, to go to place. And uh, obviously during the summer, we, we love going to the beach. We're going to Myrtle Beach. Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, what do other coaches tell you is the most pain in the butt aspect of playing against your jackets every year? Well, I think that that how hard they play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's. And that's been the case for for a while. You know, we've got if and if you're not, and if we're still not doing that, we're not doing a good job as coaches. But our kids, um, you know, a lot of times they frustrate us in practice and frustrate it during frustrate us during the week. But um, they show up on Friday nights and, and play extremely hard and, and play for each other. And that's something that um, you know I think that just having the tradition we have here, you know, you see in all of the. Uh, the the region championships and state championships on the on the banner that it kind of holds them to a um, you know a little bit higher standard. They know they have to go out and play hard to to uh, you know I guess to keep up with the uh, with the legacy that that kids and and players and coaches have left before us. 
Okay. What do you like to read? I like reading John Grisham. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I've started reading some um, some, some more uh, like leadership books. Mm. Um, Extreme Ownership. I don't know if you've read that one. I have not. It's been, been a pretty good one by uh, Jocko. Okay. Um, and been more more into kind of podcasts uh, here lately because mm. I get to read only pretty much when we go to the beach. You know, anything, anything else, I've got to stick something in my ear and listen to it because I'm doing other stuff. But mm. uh, when, I, when we go to the beach, I love reading. Um, I try to read a book, book while I'm down there each year. Yeah, I got, I'm looking at The Reckoning right now. I don't know if you've read that by Gresham. No, it's a good I've one. Got, I've, I've got... Actually, I just moved <laughs> in this bookcase there in a, a box now, but I've got uh, 10 or 12 different ones that uh, I cycle back through sometimes. All right. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, what is one thing that the Calhoun Yellow Jackets community would be surprised to learn about their head coach? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I love playing guitar. Hmm. Uh, don't don't realize that i don't again that's one thing that once you have kids you don't get to do it as much but mm. uh you know, anytime at night if i get some free time i love getting out and playing a little bit okay are you good uh not does good. your wife think you're good <laughs> well see her she's from a, a family of musicians so, Uh-oh. So, yeah. oh she probably does not but <laughs> but I, I think i am i'm just kidding but it's a uh it's just a good hobby and it's something that my sister did um mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that she was doing something I couldn't do, so I, I picked it up and, and learned it back uh, maybe just out of high school, you know, maybe starting college. All right. Well, Clay, this has been this has been great. Thank you so much for, for making the time today. How do, how do folks uh, across Georgia listen to this very podcast? How do they support uh, the Calhoun Yellow Jackets and keep up uh, with your team going forward? Yeah, the CalhounCDClub.com is a great, um, uh, great I guess the uh, hub of everything that goes on around around here and what the program you're around. So, um, you know, give that, give that a look and um, look forward to, to getting this, like I said, getting this, uh, the separation season going and getting ready for, um, for next year's schedule. All right. There you go. Coach, congrats on a great year. Uh, even if the state title game did not go, how you guys had hoped, still a great year and it's something to build off of going into 2022 you'll get other opportunities um, i'm pretty certain of it so thank you so much for the time clay and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon all right Chase, i appreciate it all right welcome back to the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas and i'm joined now by one of the one of the best coaches in the state of Georgia at the high school level. It's Mr. Jamie DeBose, Flounds High School, down there in South Georgia. Jamie, good evening, sir. How are you? Great. How are you doing this evening? Not too bad. Not too bad. I, I must confess, um, I drove. Uh, we went to Jacksonville, uh, the girlfriend and I, for our vacation uh, not too long ago, uh, last summer, um, this past summer, I guess. Um, but we are in 2022, so I get that, uh, wire, but, um, drove through and on the way to Jacksonville, 
I, uh, the, the girlfriend was asleep and I was driving at this particular point and I, I remember waking her up to show her, oh, there's Lance High School. Uh, we were driving by because I, I wanted to pull over and go check out the field and everything because I have never actually stopped um, being a Parkview guy and just growing up that we played on a state title years ago. Um, Lounge has been a part of my life for, for a long time growing up. Lounge, just the, the commitment to excellency down there and just the rivalry about Dosta and everything else. But uh, it was pretty cool to, to drive by and see, uh, see the stadium and see what it all looked like uh, this summer. Yeah, it's a it's a great uh, a great place environment uh, on a Friday night. High school football in South Georgia is, you know, something that you can write a book about. It seems like we've got tailgaters everywhere, and you know, if you come down I seventy five, there'll be grills going. And you know, basically, uh, what happens is is on a Friday afternoon, if it's a home game, there are people lined up to, you know, let the students out at three of the parking lots. About three thousand plus students and. Uh, you know, by three thirty, they're all in here already tailgating by four, and you know it's a it's a what they call tailgate alley, and you know people buy spots and and reserve spots throughout the year, and uh, a lot of love for football, a lot of love for Lounge football, and the Wintersville Classic is a, a must do, and you know I've had the opportunity to now coaching two of them. Uh, I took over uh, two years ago after uh, Coach McPherson, Randy McPherson had. You know, about a 19-year run here, and, uh, you know, he uh, uh, left it in great shape, and uh, we came in, and and I've been fortunate enough the last two years to win the Wintersville Classic, so we've been on the upside, and I think we've got a five-straight-year run of uh, winning that, but that's one of the greatest rivalries in high school football, and, you know, it's uh, it's just a great, great deal here in Wintersville, and be a part of Titletown, and you know, uh, be a part of a lot of the traditions that go along and uh, just the great atmosphere of high school football. What was your first experience like uh, with the Winterville's Wintersville Classic? Do you do you still remember it uh, the whole day as a whole? Well, you know, I, the most memorable part of it, uh, and you know, the first Wintersville Classic was uh, an ESPN deal that was mm. done, you know, during COVID, uh, which was, was, was pretty rough. But uh you know, uh, we were on ESPN, and it was uh, it, it was still a great night and a great atmosphere. But, uh, you know, I didn't get the whole total, you know, thought process. But I will tell you this, on the way to the game is probably the most the, – last year we were at home. First year we were played over in Valdosta and uh, at uh, Hyder Stadium. Uh, and and uh, on the way over, the, the streets are basically just shut down through Valdosta as the buses leave the school and – People are lined up beside the road, and uh, you know you've got people waving, cheering, blowing horns, and you know it's a, it's probably a, a 15 minute ride, 10 to 15 minute ride, maybe 10 minutes uh, with police escort across town, and, and you know people are just lined up and you know giving you an escort through, and and you know it, it's it's just a great start to the night, you know, and uh, you know it's something that around here. You know, when I interviewed, uh, not interviewed, but when I got the job and, and was was voted in right before I was voted in by the Board of Education here, uh, I went through a process with them on, on our plan over the next few years and, and winning a state title and, you know, competing at a national level. And one of the older gentlemen in the back raised his hand and said, you know, Coach, that sounds wonderful, but have you seen film about Asta yet? Because beating them is more important. And uh that that's just kind of the way of life it is down here. And, you know, it's 365 days. You know, uh, a lot of people don't understand that, 
you know, I tell them all the time, this is the only job I've ever had. I was in Alabama 28 years and, you know, here in South Georgia, uh, you know, 365 days out of the year, I'm on the radio. You know, we do a radio show and we talk lounge football. We talk off season. We talk recruiting. We talk, uh, conditioning. We talk seven on sevens. We talk, it, it's something every week. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just kind of the way you're brought up and kind of the way it is here in this community. But, uh, yeah, football is important. And, you know, as a football coach, it's great to be there and uh, great to be here. We've got a lot of great things going on right now. We are in the process of building a, a 120-yard multipurpose indoor practice facility, and uh, which is going to be a, a, a state-of-the-art. So next time you're down uh, uh, I-75, you might want to cruise in and check that one out, too. Uh, it's going to be a really nice building and uh, then we're going to be redoing our field house after that. So uh, we're building a cafeteria inside our field house for our players uh, because we serve them breakfast every day. We, we feed our mm. players uh, every day that they come into the program. And, uh, you know, this way we'll, we'll give them a better way to eat. Right now we're kind of eating underneath the bleachers. It's not that cold generally most of the time, most of the year. But we are starting to get a few cold or rainy days, so uh, it gives them an opportunity to be uh, inside. And, you know, we've got meeting rooms in that, and we're going to have a media room. So it's going to be incredible. But, uh, yeah, a lot of big plans going on. And, uh, like I said, just a, a really good place to be as a high school football coach. What's on the menu for breakfast, generally speaking? Well, we, I tell you the best thing since I got down here is the the grit bowl or the, the breakfast cup where it's okay. grits and eggs and sausage and cheese, and it's all mixed up into one cup. And, oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, that seems to be the cla- the, the favorite. We have a, we have a uh, uh, what is it, uh, on Fridays, it's uh, the, the, the sticks that they eat. I, I don't know, toast stick, French mm. toast sticks. Uh, they have that French toast stick Friday. They have mm-hmm. a a pancake day so we we, we kind of change it up on a regular basis but as part of our our strength conditioning program we always do a weight we, we do our weight workouts in the morning and you know once they get through uh you know we're going to make sure that they got protein shakes and we're going to make sure they got a great breakfast before they go off to school every day i like that i like that how did that get started uh it's part of the breakfast program here it's hmm. been going on for years uh something coach uh randy mcpherson started uh, not sure the year they started it, but uh, our touchdown club, which is extremely uh, very supportive and does a great job of raising money and uh, outfitting it. We have, you know, someone that cooks and uh, gets everything ready. We have moms and grandmoms that come in to help prepare and get things ready for the players. It's kind of a different shift every day. We have a kitchen uh, that's out uh, underneath our bleachers, uh, right at the area, right next to a concession stand. So. It's fully serviceable, and, uh, you know, our guys get all the needs and all the things because, you know, we're not quite capable of doing what a lot of college programs do, but we try to feed them as much as we can because, as anybody knows, the nutrition side is probably the least uh, part of a high school football program that Hmm. uh, a lot of people do. You know, you can't uh, expect a kid to get bigger and stronger if we're just giving them what, what this lunchroom gives them. So. Uh, our, our program here is built with our touchdown club and the fact that we, we are able to provide additional meals and additional things for our kids on the outside. Are that are is vegetables on the menu? Are, are most of the kids down with well, vegetables and broccoli? I, I got to be honest, there's mm. not a whole lot of vegetables thrown <laughs> out there, but uh, we, we, but we we let the parents take care of that maybe at home. <laughs> I like that. Um, when is the uh, when is the facility going to be uh, be out there? When is the when is it going to be well, complete? 
they have just broken into our high school. We've got a new high school we built right off I-75. Mm-hmm. It's getting completed in February. And uh, then, you know, the, the, the indoor facility will be completed. Uh, after, it just got started, actually, a day or two ago. Uh, should be completed in about nine to ten months, you know, weather permitting and things like that, I guess. And uh, so hopefully, you know, about the beginning of the season or mid-season by – you know, by the time we hit playoffs next year, hopefully, if any kind of cooler atmosphere happens, I know we we we're spoiled down here. We can say cooler when it gets to forty five. So, mm-hmm. uh, but when it when the weather does, you know, get difficult to deal with on the outside, we'll have an ability to go inside and uh, continue to practice and continue to work. It'll really help us in our off season training and the things that we do to get uh, bigger, faster, stronger. It'll help us in that area, and uh, you know it's just going to give us a, a another advantage or, or a way that our our athletes can can train better and can prepare better on a weekly basis. Has the job been about what you expected when you came over two years ago? Well, you know, yeah, it, I, I'm gonna say yeah, but you know, COVID has made things difficult. And mm-hmm. uh, when I when I say expected, of course, you know, the expectations pre-COVID would have been a lot different than I, than I know I've went through here and. We've had to make some adjustments and do some things. And, you know, the attendance that you're used to, because if you've been down I-75, you see the size of our stadium. It's a mm-hmm. it's a remarkable stadium for high school football. And, you know, first year was limited, you know, as far as people there. And then this year relaxed a little bit more. But, uh, you know, it's still been, been not probably where it was at one time. And, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to that. But, you know, uh, we, last year was just totally just awkward in a sense of, of how we had to go about things and how we had to do things. So, you know, I, I'm going to say it's, it's, you know, the support, yes. I mean, even even through these times, uh, the community has been very supportive. Uh, you know, the, the what I thought importance of football in this community has is, is been there 100 percent. And, you know, uh, the backing is there. And we've got a tremendous board of education and, and superintendent that does an outstanding job of, uh, of, of making sure that our, our athletes, our student athletes, have whatever. We've just turfed our softball, our, our women's softball, and our, our men's baseball field. And, you know, our, our facilities are just really supported, and our programs all together here at Lowndes High School are supported great no matter what they are. That's cool. Um, what's the biggest difference between coaching in Alabama and coaching in Georgia? Well, I get that question a lot. You know, I, I, I really don't know. I, I told everybody, you know, as a coach, when we kick off football, football, I don't really know the difference a whole lot. I, I get, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Georgia, you, you have to face, you know, schools. I'm in the large school division. I, I coached in the large school division in Alabama, and I coached it in, in Georgia. I've told people I think winning the state championships a lot more difficult in Georgia than it is in Alabama in the hmm. sense of you've got a lot bigger schools, and which means you've got a lot more schools that are going to have uh, tremendous athletes. And in Alabama, you've got you know a lot of schools that uh, are not quite as large as they are in Georgia, so you may not have you know four or five. Uh, four stars or more, but you know, in Georgia, you may face a team that has, you know, multiple four or five star athletes on a team, mm-hmm. uh, such as Colin Till did this year. Mm-hmm. You know, out of out of North Georgia with Travis Hunter and uh, you know Sam Hunt, the the quarterback, yep. and uh, all the guys that they 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 possess this year, they had a tremendous group of players, and you know, I, so I, I think you know the biggest thing I've noticed is. 
in, in, in the state of Georgia, the size of the high school just gives the teams a little bit more, you know, uh, I guess more more bodies or, or better athletes, you know, across the board uh, in numbers. So, you know, the, other than that, you know, I, I think, you know, South Georgia football as opposed to North Georgia football, uh, the, the, the importance is the importance is, is more or less uh, bigger in South Georgia. I, I think it's even bigger here in South Georgia than it is Alabama. You know, people in Alabama love their football. You know, people in Georgia throughout love their football. But at the end of the day, I've just noticed a little bit different rabid approach by the fans uh, in South Georgia than maybe uh, in Alabama or what I've noticed even in, uh, in, in North Georgia. Interesting. Um, what will you remember most about this past season? Uh, about this past season, I, I tell you what, we won uh, basically four or five games in the last thirty seconds of the ball. <laughs> uh, we we uh, not we, good for the blood pressure. Tremendous, oh yeah, we had a lot of tremendous wins that came uh, at the end of the game. We beat Camden County, uh, the final game of the year. We had already clinched our region, and you know it was one of those games you're just playing for pride and things like that. But you know, as a, as a competitor, you want to win and. You know, we didn't play very well early on, and uh, they built a lead, and they scored on us with about a minute to go. And, you know, it's kind of a Tom Brady scenario almost, or like Kansas City was this weekend. And, you know, uh, Cincinnati not wanting to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. We got, yeah. we got a tremendous quarterback in Jakari Brown that's going to uh, Miami. And, you know, we, we had scored a lot of points this year, but uh, we got the ball back with a minute to go, at 85 yards to go, and, you know, we get down to a 20-something seconds and, and, and a third and long, and, you know, we score on an 80-some-odd-yard touchdown play. And, and, you know, we just we won several games like that at the end. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I took from this season is, is the this team may have lacked in some areas of talent that we've had in the past. But, you know, I think they the pride of the program and – uh, the heart that they showed throughout the no quit, you know, it, it was just tremendous. And, you know, we, we beat a lot of teams, you know, we beat Cedar Grove, which was a state champion team, I believe. Uh, you know, we, we played Collins Hill at the end and got knocked out by them. But, you know, Collins Hill, we faced them missing about four or five starters, which we were down a little bit. But then, you know, we, we beat two or three. We beat Lake Gibson out of Tampa, Florida on ESPN. Uh, I think 52 to 47 or something like that. We scored late in that game to win. So, you know, there were a lot of just uh, tremendous wins that came late in the ball game. So, you know, a just tremendous, uh, you know, effort and, and heart by our team this year. The biggest difference between coaching in 2020 and 2021 was what for you? Wow. 2020 and 2021. It, it had a little bit more normalcy, I, mm-hmm. I guess, in, in the life of, of, of what we did from travel uh, to, to sideline, to locker room. Uh, the biggest difference I would have said would have been the summer. I mean, I, 2020 summer was just crazy, you know, trying to figure out what to do. You know, we, we, we started workouts in 2020 of the summer of that, uh, with allowing only like five to 10 kids in a weight room at a time, or you could have five or 10 in a group. And we, we basically had to work out the entire day, you know, coming in shifts. Uh, not ever having your team together and, and trying to, you know, go out and play on a Friday night. And, you know, it just, 
it, it was total of the difficulty of, of what we've talked about, you know, our whole life of doing things as a team had to be separated into shifts and groups. And, you know, this past year we got back to a little bit more normal workout, a little bit normal lifestyle, uh, I guess, as far as football goes. I can imagine. I have talked to a lot of coaches around uh, the Southeast and around just Georgia as of late and asked that question because I'm just curious because it seems like that is a common theme and just the summer of 2020 I've noticed um, is just that, that's something that every coach wants to forget and just trying to get through because I imagine with you and you're not alone here was that all the installs that you you wanted to, to put in uh, were not not going to happen in 2020. Well, you know, I came here in 2020, so mm-hmm. just to give you a little scenario, it was the rough. I, you know, they didn't write a book. You know, with <laughs> coaching, you usually steal things from other people, or you can mm-hmm. call, you know, other coaches and and ask questions. You know, we lean on each other, but you know, 2020 was brand new to everybody, and it was like a trial by error deal. And and you know, uh, we came here and didn't even get a spring training. You know, I got hired in January of 2020, and then. In March, we get shut down. Well, I haven't even hired a complete staff yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to do virtual installs. You were talking about installs. We had to go Zoom, and we had to install on, on Zoom while we're just talking over a, a Internet. We had kids working out in yards, lifting blocks. You know, we're, we're sending out, you know, workouts that, that they could go out and do things, you know, in the yard to try to be in shape or try to do things. And and I guess the biggest thing about 2020 that I relate back to in my life is the unknown. Mm-hmm. Every day we went to work, it was like an unknown. You don't know what's about to be announced. You don't know what's about to happen. You don't know what changes are going on. You know, as coaches, we try to have a plan of action over months to where you sit there and you say, okay, in this month we're going to do this, and this month we're going to do that, this month – well, we didn't know what week to week was going to hold. Mm-hmm. Little alone did we know what month to month. You know, when we started in June, we didn't even know where our start date was. Uh, when they allowed us to come back as groups and do things, so you know, it was it was a very difficult time in coaching, and uh, it was a tough time. You know, and uh, you know, again, uh, I hope in my career, you know, I've been in this now going on twenty nine, thirty years. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most difficult, one of the toughest eras I'd ever went through because not only that, I was changing jobs. Heck, we were hiring coaches, and I had not even sat down with them face-to-face. I was hiring them over Zoom oh, man. And, and talking to them over the phone. And, and you know, it was it was just things that, uh, you know, we didn't we, – we, we had never been through. And, you know, my guys did an outstanding job. I think, you know, we lost two games during the year – uh, we went through a shutdown, and we were trying to do everything right. And, uh, you know, we went through where, where COVID got into our program in 2020, and, you know, we we shoot, we had 15 or 16 coaches come down with it at one time. We had, you know, numerous players, as many as 25 or so. So our program got totally quarantined, uh, uh, and we had to basically lose two football games. We forfeited, not forfeited, but – you know, had to had to just do away with two of our games, so we only played an eight game season, and you know our guys went seven and one, and uh, you know we, I'll never forget when we came off of COVID uh, quarantine, we got released on a Wednesday to come back to school. Our first region game was that Friday, 
So after being two weeks of quarantine, of nobody seeing each other except on Zoom and uh, however we could get on the phone together, uh, we had to play a game with two days practice. And uh, that was one of the most difficult nights I had ever been involved with a football game ever, and we went on to win the game. Uh, you know, we, we won the game in a, in a tough one. We kicked a field goal, I think, late to win it. And, uh, you know, it, it was that, that was just some difficult times. And, you know, but I had a great group of guys that year and, and great leadership, and, and we fought through it and, and found a way to get to the semifinals. That was, that was a tough year altogether, you know, taking trips to Atlanta, you know, with, with all the, the protocols and, you know, going to hotels and players having to wear masks and, how many you could put in a room and, you know, then trying to do pregame meals because restaurants wouldn't allow you to come. And, you know, it, it was just, I, I tell you, it was a very difficult year in scheduling and organizing and trying to get things done. And on top of all of that, you were, you got on Netflix. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we, we didn't run the Netflix show. That's yeah. About, I oh, I know you didn't run it, but you were yeah, on it. We, like We were on yeah. it. And, uh, I got to raise a trophy on mm-hmm. it. Uh, I, I had a little quick glimpse, but uh, yeah, we were on ESPN. We were on Netflix. Uh, shoot, we, we made TV in a COVID year three or four times. <laughs> so I don't know if that's good or bad, though. I think that's pretty good. All publicity is good publicity, right? Um, what? Uh, however we can get it. Exactly, exactly. Um, what were you most proud about uh, for your team this year? This year, I was proud about the heart they showed. I was proud about the no quit in them. I was proud about the uh, what we accomplished. We won the region. Uh, and if you don't know, uh, Lowndes High School has been about 60, I'm going to say 65 years in existence. Uh, and they had won 13 region championships. And this is a storied program in Georgia. Uh, this is a program that's thought of, of great things. And, and they've been tremendous talent go through here and a lot of winning, but they had only won the region in South Georgia 13 times. So we won it this year for the 14th time, and that's a huge accomplishment in South Georgia. Uh, and, and I was very proud of our football team for what they did, and, of course, winning the Wintersville. You know, to go back-to-back, our seniors uh, basically won winners. Like I said, we've won it five years in a row, so our seniors never lost to Valdosta all the way through their career. And, you know, those are some accomplishments that I was very proud of and happy to see our guys, you know, reach this year. Um, is there, when you were reflecting after the season concluded and you, you looked at the schedule or if you look at it now and you think about all the different games and you mentioned at the top of the program that, uh, you had a lot of games come down to the last 30 seconds. Is there one game in particular that you wish you could have back that you could have a do over and start from the beginning? Cause you think that you could, it should have gone a different way if you had just done something else differently. Well, I, you know, of course, everybody might want to say Collins Hill and in, in the in the semifinal, in the quarterfinals, but you know, we were shorthanded there. If I had a wish there, I would say that we were fully healthy and you know had everybody there. But if you look at in a coaching aspect, that mm-hmm. I just felt like you know we would have been better if we could have started the game over and done a better job coaching and and our players doing a better job of executing early on would have been the Walton game and, mm-hmm. and the Corky Kale. Uh, which would have been week one uh, at the Georgia at, at the Mercedes Benz Dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played there, and uh, what it was is we had uh, nine brand new starters on offense, and and we had I think uh, eight brand new starters on defense, eight or nine on defense, and you know we were just a, a team that had not been together much as a, as a unit, and uh, we went out there in a big environment. You know Mercedes Benz, our guys run out there, and you know your eyeballs are big, and 
you know, we played a Walton team that was uh, senior-led. They had a very uh, senior-laden team, and uh, they did a very good job. And we made some mistakes early on. And, you know, we went down in that ball game, and uh, we were down, I, I want to say, uh, 21, no, 28 to, to, to 14 with uh, basically uh, a minute 14 to go in the ball game to tell you how this game went. And uh, we fought back to tie that game up, you know, in the third quarter. Then they score two in the fourth quarter, and they go up 28-14. So uh, we score with a minute 13 to go and make it a 28-21 game. And we onside kick, get the onside kick, and then we score again uh, with 25, 20, 30 seconds to go. And if I had to do it over again, I would have went for two. And uh, we had a hard time getting our personnel ready for the two-point conversion. And, you know, there was a celebration on a touchdown, and everybody went crazy. And, you know, just a young team and, and, and you know, staff first game. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, you know, I wish we had a do-over there. And uh, I think that game might have been a whole different scenario had, had we could have started that game over. Is there a win on the flip side of this? Is there a win that really stood out to you and that you, you'll, you'll cherish for a long time? Uh, I would say the Norcross game and the and the and the, uh, the the second round playoff game. We again we score, you know, with basically twenty something seconds to go on a. It, it, we were facing a fourth and thirteen uh, on their twenty on their about twenty five yard line, mm-hmm. and we throw a touchdown pass on. What'd you call? Twenty something seconds to go. Uh, we called what we call a burst route to the mm-hmm. front side, and our quarterback checked down to the back side to uh, what was his hottest receiver during the game. And, you know, he basically throws it up in the corner, and, and the DB just misplayed it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kid we got going to Tennessee Tech, Chris Thomas, uh, makes a tremendous catch in the corner of the end zone. And, uh, you know, it, it was seriously fourth and 13. I mean, we, our life was on the line. There were 20-something seconds to go, and, you know, we're at 20, 22, 23. It was 23-yard line going mm-hmm. in, and, uh, you know, we make a play. And, uh, you know, it was a game that we had never led in all game. Uh, we, we we actually lost uh, three starters in that game and uh, on offense and was really shorthanded and uh, struggled most of the game to get back in it, you know, just with backups. And then, you know, we, we have uh, our quarterback uh, that went down, came back there at the end of the game, uh, injured on one foot, kind of, you know, Byron Leffertwich hobbling down the field. And, you know, he, he makes, you know, a big drive right there at the end of the game to, to give us a touchdown. I, I think that drive was about an 85-yard drive uh, that went down and we were able to score, like I said, uh, at the conclusion of the game on the 4th and 13th to win it. When you go back to the Valdosta game, though, and – just with the win streak and everything else, um, what uh, what was that game like for you guys and your team? Do you remember anything about your players and just the atmosphere? Anything that happened in particular that you were like that that is just a classic rivalry moment. Well, I, you know, I think one our defense was very young this year and, and much uh, maligned, I guess is the word we'll say that you know a lot of people were on them. They gave up quite a few punch more than normal this year and. Like I said, we had a lot of a lot of injuries. You know, at our secondary, you know, we we had probably a combination of uh, we didn't. I don't know if we had the same secondary two complete games all year. Uh, like I said, the the two corners that finished the year 
uh, did not start the year at corner for us. And, uh, you know, the two safeties that started the year, only one of them started the year for us at safety, and he played some corner also. So we, we just had a lot of injuries, and we were young. And uh, in that game, uh, basically, our guys played a tremendous defensive. They had great effort and uh, basically went out and shut them out. And, uh, you know, I think we won the game 27 nothing, uh, something like that. And, you know, to have a shutout in, in, in your big rivalry game in a game such as Wintersville – uh, is, a, is, a, is a tremendous uh, accomplishment, in my opinion. If we were to bring Ja'Curry Brown on this podcast, we, we brought him in, and I asked him, what was the hardest part about A, playing for you, and B, playing quarterback for you? What do you think he would say? Uh, I would say playing... Uh, well, that's a tough question. I would say uh, playing quarterback for me. Mm-hmm. And, and and not playing for me, but playing quarterback for me because I have such uh, – I'm, I'm more or less try to be a perfectionist in football. I'm not in life mm-hmm. at all. My wife would tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any kind of schedule of event mm-hmm. at my home or away from football. But, you know, when I'm at football, everything's got to be perfect. And I think, you know, that that's why I'm successful. Uh, and I get that off other great guys. It's not just me, but – I think basically uh, what I'm trying to say is, is I would never let him be satisfied. I would never let him be complacent. Uh, and I think he realized that. And when you do realize that, I think that's when you get better uh, because you continue to try to try to please me or continue to try. But, I, you know, I, I, there was nothing he could do that was ever going to be perfect because I always had a, well, you could have done this or you could have, or did you see this? And, and it's kind of like, I never be satisfied. I won't let them be satisfied with anything they do, even though I'm excited and I'm thrilled for their accomplishments and I praise them. But at the end of the day, there's something always to coach and there's something always to get better on. How has coaching changed over the last 30 years most since when you first got your first head coaching job? Wow, man, many ways and many different things. I mean, from video uh, to how we deal with players to you know just it's just a totally different world uh how it changed first of all we'll say with players uh i think players you know i I will go this far when when i first got into coaching i think it was still more or less to where i was that when you walked in it was more of there's the coach it was a respect given thing i think now there's more of a mutual respect of of treatment of people you know a coach in the old days could just do whatever and you realize that i think now players want to see that you care about them i think players want to know that that you're there for them and you're willing to do the things that they do uh i think there's just a different mindset now but why by the way we're we're raising people and, and the way the times are uh technology man i i went from the days of real to real to now you can get video from anywhere in the world. I went from the days of you got to drive somewhere to switch tape with somebody that now you can just pull your phone up and watch video from wherever you're at. Uh, I think the social media days uh, are the toughest things we have to deal with now with our players. You know, back in the days, you didn't have to talk about things like social media. Uh, now we've got to make sure that they're doing the right things on social media because 
you know, we, we talk to them every day. You know, those things like telephones and all the stuff that they're on, you can make one bad thing or one bad move or one bad video or or, or, or make one wrong word said and, and your whole life can change. And, you know, I don't think we understand that sometimes when we, we, we do things on these phones and in the world of social media. So we, we spend a lot of time trying to talk to them about that and, and, and two, just, how to treat people, you know, I mean, equal the equality of, of everybody and, you know, what, what, what you need to do as a person. And, 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 you know, I think also, you know, how to deal with females, you know, I mean, we do that in our program, you know, how you treat females, you know, the things that, you know, how you treat other people. Uh, I think there's more today of talking about real life man, how to be a man or how to be a, a great citizen or how to be a person than there was when I went through. I think football was football when I went through. And, and, and when I first got into it, it was more of just go to practice and go in and get dressed and go home. And, and now there's more into it about life and, and, and about what we're trying to do in the world to create a better place. Do you have any, uh, now that we're in the new year and uh, the holiday season, it's behind us, but what is what is your holiday like at the the DeBose household? What do you what do you do? What's your Christmas Christmas traditions? Any New Year's traditions? Well, if it's uh, football, mm-hmm. what's the football schedule for the day? Uh, okay. we're going we're going to watch football. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as Christmas goes, I'll be honest with you, I, I I'm like a, a little kid. That's my mm-hmm. favorite uh, time of the year. My my players will tell you in the playoffs when we were in the playoffs. Uh, Thanksgiving, matter of fact, uh, when we reported every morning we were out of school and when we went into practice and meet on the, in the morning in our field house, I had Christmas music playing and, and I, I just love that time of year and uh, I love the, I love just the, the, the lights and, and, and the giving and uh, the receiving and everything about it. And, uh, you know, I, I like to see people happy and opening presents and, you know, I, I like to get together with family and, uh, you know, we just we just relax and watch football. Usually, you know, we're playing up till December, uh, mm-hmm. deep into November and into December. I, I don't think I, I I told somebody the other day uh, I can't remember when I did not practice on a Thanksgiving. Uh, I've I've always you know Thanksgiving to me is waking up on Thanksgiving morning and going to spend it with with my football team and and then coming home to spend it with my with my family. So I have two families, and I always like to say I like to see both of them on Thanksgiving Day. So, you know, it's uh, it's a great time of, of the year, and, and you know, uh, trying to get into December to play. But you know, watching football games and enjoying family, and you know, just uh, enjoying the time of the year. It's a great time. But rest is probably the biggest thing we do. Can you turn your brain off, your football brain off, when you're watching like Chiefs Bengals on Sunday? Are you able to just no. enjoy? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I I do enjoy watching it, but mm-hmm. I'm always looking at what they're doing. Uh, I always look at, you know, what they're thinking. And, you know, I was, you know, I, I know we all second guess, but, you know, I, 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 I was I was cringing over the, the not scoring. I understand why they didn't. The, the fourth and one call. There. Yeah, I'm trying to run. The fourth and one call got me. I, I still don't. Know. You know, the first time on the penalty, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, he's got life. And then when they threw it again, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, or didn't kick the field goal. Yeah. I'm like, what are we doing? Uh, so I, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I guess I, I do like many, and 
I don't, I don't ever judge a coach because I know I got to make decisions. And let me tell you, until you know, just talking to fans, until you're sitting with the gun to your head, and I hate to say that, but until you got to make a call in a split second, you know, it's tough to do. But you know, the one thing that I learned a long time ago is go with gut. You know, you go with your first thought, and if that was his first thought to go for it and throw it, then that's what you got to do. And that's that's, you know, that's the one thing you don't want to second guess yourself and. You know, my, my thing I've always done is, is the first thing that comes to mind, you got to go with it. And I said earlier, my first thing that came to mind in that Walton game was go for two, and I didn't do it. And we ended up losing the game in overtime. And, uh, you know, I still feel today if we'd have went for two in that game, we win the game right there. Interesting. Um, do you have a favorite getaway spot? Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Or do you have a, a way of uh, just giving some time to yourself to, to clear your head? Do you have any type of routine that you do to to get away from football at least briefly well you know i, I don't do a whole lot uh, i'll be honest with you i i, I work a lot and no golfing no like fishing get away yeah my, my wife has basically formed it into uh, we just got back after christmas we uh-huh. go to the beach okay it's not crowded uh, and we spend about four or five days at the beach and enjoy just watching the waves we're not I, you know i'm not a beach guy i don't like getting in the beach because I, I don't i hear about sharks all the time i get worried about that but uh and i'm more of a pool guy than I'm okay. a beach guy. i don't like the sand so uh i just you know i guess i guess just hanging out you know on the balcony and and just relaxing and, and hearing the waves i enjoy that and you know listening to you know, listening to my country music uh i enjoy that and who do you like uh, you know probably playing golf you know if i've got any kind of thing that i do i don't hunt uh, I can't really understand why somebody sits in the cold and waits for an animal to come out. So I, I, I'm not that guy. You know, fishing is okay, but golfing is, is fun. And, you know, my wife uh, built a nice pool and out back. So, you know, I, I don't like to leave. You know, I like going to the beach, I guess. That's the only part. I don't go. Unfortunately, I won't go up north because it's cold. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a warm weather guy. I don't like the cold at all. And uh, so I, I, I like just hanging out at home and enjoying the pool, enjoying the water, and you know maybe slipping away and playing some golf. Okay, uh, what do you like? What do you like to read? Wow, uh, not not much on reading. Okay, uh, look, I, if I had to read though, it has to be short. So I'm big into motivational and devotional type things mm. uh, because I use them as far as character ed building. Uh, right now, matter of fact, for Christmas, I got uh, a book sitting right here next to me. I'm reading mm. over grabbing it, uh, and it's called Life Lessons uh, Learned from Sports by John Ed Matheson. He was a pastor in Alabama at uh, 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 Frazier United Methodist Church, and uh, it's daily devotions, uh, just a couple of pages long on each one of them. And uh, I really enjoy reading them because they're about life. It's about you know what you do in life. It's about you know, tough times, good times, how to handle things. And, you know, I'm more of that than I am getting a big old long book because I probably, I don't have the patience to sit there long enough to do that. It's got to be quick or I'm up doing something else. Hey, at least you, you seem like you really know yourself, Coach DeBuzz. Like, you, well, you know I, I you. I, 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 I know what I like and don't like. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. I like it. Um, give me one thing, though. Give me one thing that the Lounge football community would be surprised to know about you. Wow, uh, that that's a toughie right there. One thing that they because I'm a pretty open book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can pull me up on the internet. I've danced after big wins, and my <laughs> dancing is not real good. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know. So you're I, like Elaine I, I from Seinfeld. Uh, one thing that 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 that. Uh, I don't know. I, that that may be a question. You know, I've never been hit with. I just <laughs> never thought about it. Uh, uh, that's one I'm gonna have to think about. Okay. I can't. I can't even come up with anything right now. It's just so tough. There you go. Well, do, how about this? What was your favorite Christmas well, gift? Well, I will say yeah. this. Mm-hmm. One thing nobody knew about me is I played uh, when I came out of high school. I played college baseball actually mm. for a year at Huntington College in Montgomery, and I was a head baseball coach before I became a head football coach. And a lot of people don't know that. Well, I have a question for you then. Is your heart right. in baseball? No, my heart's football, but okay. I like baseball. My sons play baseball, and I like watching it, but uh, I, I can assure you uh, I ended up giving up baseball in college. I said one year because I went back to football. I transferred mm-hmm. to Troy State university at the time it was before it became as big as it is it was division two then mm-hmm. now the the troy trojans um yeah, last thing and we'll wrap up here coach if i pulled valdosta if i pulled camden with heron if i pulled coach godfrey at parkview or whoever around around the state of georgia if i pulled them and i was like what do you think is the most frustrating part about playing Coach DeBose and Lounge football in any given Friday? What do you think their answer is? I would hope the speed of our offense, how hmm. quick we play. Uh, and and I think that was one of the things that helps us this year. And, and, and that would be one thing, and I would hope that uh, they're a very physical group. I mean, that's the two things I would come up, hopefully one of those. I know that I've had somebody tell me before, that our teams are generally physical, and I hope that's you know what we continue to do and and believe by. But I think one of the biggest things is just the speed uh, that we can play with offensively and at. Okay, I like it. I like it, Coach. How do how do the good folks around the state of Georgia who just want to support the GHSA and another premier program down there in South Georgia at Lowndes, How do they how do they support you? And the and the football well, team. Well, you know the biggest thing is if uh, you know if they're down here or they're a fan or anything else joining our touchdown club, you know, that that's one thing because, as I mentioned earlier, they're a major part of our, our breakfast program in the mornings, and, and they utilize uh, a lot of funds and the things they do to take care of the players as far as breakfast and feeding them. And, you know, that that's one way to, you know, you got to build mass. Football's about mass and, and replenishing uh, the things that you need after a weight workout and, and the things that we do. And, you know, other than that, just uh, uh, being there. Uh, being there all the time. You can go to Facebook, you know, to the Viking Touchdown Club. Uh, we're on Facebook. You can keep up with the activities and, and uh, you know, just, just being a part of the games. You know, I mean, we have a lot of, you know, Randall Godfrey uh, used to play here. He, he was played with the Dallas Cowboys, Georgia uh, Bulldogs. He played uh, with the Chargers. He's, you know, big-time player. He lives, and his children go to North Gwinnett. Uh, played with the Tennessee Titans also, but you know every time we're up in Atlanta, Randall's at a game, and uh, you know I, I tell everybody that you know uh, you know once you're a Viking, always a Viking, and you know we, we we love the support, no matter if you can be all of them or some of them. There you go. That's how we'll end it. I like that. I like that, Coach. Thank you so much for giving so much of your time this evening. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Absolutely, man. And I appreciate you giving us the opportunity and what you're doing and what you do for these players and everything else. And, and just, uh, I'm very appreciative for being on here tonight. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good luck with this off season. And we'll, we'll reconvene before the, the fall football season gets started, which will be here before you know it. Sounds great. Go Vikings.
All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you to John Taylor, uh, Clay Stevenson, and Jamie DeBose for coming on today's show. Uh, Greatly appreciate it and enjoyed our conversations. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Make sure to go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com if you have not already done so. Uh, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com for the newsletter. Type in your email there and you'll get ac- you'll get uh, access to all of these episodes, uh, all my writing in your email box uh, when new stuff goes live. So go do that if you've not already done so. Follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Uh, I think that is it. Tell your friends if you like uh, the pod, if you like uh, listening to these episodes this very podcast, uh, part of the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, make sure to tell family, friends, coworkers, Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, hope that uh, you enjoy it and continue to keep tuning in. Greatly appreciate it, guys. Uh, new episode tomorrow, per usual. Uh, I will talk to you guys then. Uncle Derek, how do I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.